This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. Support this podcast by joining the independent progressive media revolution today at humanistreport.com. Welcome to the Humanist Report podcast. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the 93rd episode of the program. Today is May 5th, and before we get started, I want to take a moment to thank all of these kind individuals who decided to sign up to support us either through our Patreon account or through PayPal. So at the end of the program, I will thank each and every single one of these individuals. But before we get to that, we're going to jump into the politics. So first, on today's episode, I will be talking about how House Republicans voted to repeal the Affordable Care Act and how Donald Trump signed a religious liberty executive order. Additionally, Hillary Clinton is still blaming others for her loss in 2016, and she's also taking steps to increase her political influence by forming a super PAC. And speaking of corporate Democrats, I will tell you why Dianne Feinstein is against single-payer health care and what Debbie Wasserman Schultz has to say about Obama's cozy relationship with Wall Street. I'll also tackle smug liberal comedians and that phenomenon. I'll talk about how Flint has betrayed its citizens and explain why Republicans are triggered by a recent Jimmy Kimmel segment. And finally... I will speak with Nico House, who will give us the inside scoop on the DNC's fraud lawsuit. So all of these topics will be discussed. We even have a voicemail in this episode, so busy show. Uh, Let's go ahead and jump right in. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. In a vote of 217 to 213, House Republicans have officially voted to repeal the Affordable Care Act and replace it with a plan that would make sure that millions of Americans who currently have coverage would lose the coverage that they were able to gain under the Affordable Care Act. Now, this bill also gives a very large tax cut to millionaires and billionaires. And that's not all. What this bill does is guts the Medicaid expansion, and it also makes sure that states now have the discretion to determine whether or not health insurance providers can discriminate against people with pre-existing conditions. So it's a disaster. This is a bill that would literally lead to the deaths of many Americans. But since the Republican Party is fascinated and obsessed with death and destruction and just destroying human lives, they are very giddy that this passed. That's the group. Thank you. Thank you very much. This really is the group. What a great group of people. And they're not even doing it for the party. They're doing it for this country. It's been a catastrophe, and this is a great plan. I actually think it will get even better. And this is, make no mistake, this is a repeal and a replace of Obamacare. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake. Tell you what. There is a lot of talent standing behind me. An unbelievable amount of talent. That I can tell you. I mean it. And, you know, coming from a different world and only being a politician for a short period of time, how am I doing? Am I doing okay? I'm president. Hey, I'm president. Can you believe it, right? 
So, you know, by the looks of it, they're obviously very happy that this passed. And to celebrate, they're throwing a beer bash. So according to vice journalist Alexandra Joff, cases upon cases of beer just rolled into the Capitol on a cart covered in a sheet, spotted Bud Light peeking out from the sheet. This is a political party that is celebrating because they just passed a bill that would literally lead to people dying. Their constituents would die because they would lose the health insurance coverage that they have, and they continuously claim that this this would make insurance cheaper. If you have a pre-existing condition, you will now be screwed over because your Republican state legislature or governor can say, you know what, I'm going to allow my donors, the health insurance industry, uh, to be able to charge you, if you have a pre-existing condition, an exorbitant price. Now, regardless if that means you can't afford your health care or not, I don't really care. All I know is the insurance industry is funding my election, so we've got to do what they want. So obviously that's going to make the prices higher, but they are telling you that it's going to lower the cost of health insurance when that's just not true. And most of all, again, people would lose their health insurance. And if you can't afford insurance and you have a medical emergency, you die or go bankrupt. But they're giddy. They're celebrating. That's how despicable this so-called party really is. Now, the first version of Trump Care initially failed because it didn't screw over the American people enough. So the Freedom Caucus saw it as kind of Obamacare light, so they figured there was really no reason to pass the repeal. However, because of a new amendment that guarantees that more people would lose their insurance, now the Freedom Caucus is on board. So the Huffington Post explains, the First Amendment, which brought roughly 20 Freedom Caucus members who were voting no to yes, would allow states to opt out of Obamacare provisions, ensuring that people with pre-existing conditions are charged the same amount as healthy people as well as the provisions mandating that insurers cover 10 essential health benefits, things like lab services, maternity care, and emergency room visits. Now, the Huffington Post also reports that the bill would block Medicaid funds to Planned Parenthood, which could strip birth control access and preventative health care from an estimated 390,000 low-income women. That's what they're celebrating. I mean, they could barely contain themselves. You saw how Trump was acting at the press conference. They're excited that people will be dying now, that low-income women will not be able to get health care through Planned Parenthood. They are a fascist party. That's what they are. Now, if that wasn't enough, this was a vote that was directly along party lines, which was one of their biggest complaints about how Obama and the Democrats passed the Affordable Care Act. I mean, they lambasted the bill because it lacked bipartisan support, but so does this bill, but they wanted to pass it anyway, and they're doing everything they can to push this bill through Congress before people find out just how bad it really is because they've had no committee hearings about the bill, and also the Congressional Budget Office doesn't have an estimate of the amount of people this will impact. And furthermore, some Republicans admitted to voting for this bill without even reading it. So this is how they treat Americans. They get elected and this is what they do. They gut health care. They strip you of your health care and this will lead to people dying. They are the party of death. I know some people don't like it when I say that, but they're the party of death. Their policies facilitate death and destruction. They're fascist. The Republican Party is the party of death. And think about how disgusting this is. We were clutching onto our shitty Obamacare plan that was a step in the right direction, but certainly didn't go far enough. And we're fighting for this garbage right-wing healthcare plan with everything that we have. But the GOP comes along and says, you know what? You peasants can't even have that. I don't even want you to have a shitty 
shitty right-wing Republican proposed plan that the Heritage Foundation endorsed in the 90s. I don't even want you to have that. You get less because you are peasants and our donors need more money. The insurance industry is not making enough profits. Uh, CEOs aren't able to buy as many yachts and mansions as they would like. So if they want to raise their uh, their costs and profit off of people with pre-existing conditions again and that's what we're going to help them do because they're just peasants their lives are meaningless we don't care if they die democrats you've got to do everything now to filibuster this democrats have got to fight however the problem is that democrats you know they're really giddy also when republicans passed this not because they supported the repeal of obamacare but they were giddy because they thought that this would facilitate a huge electoral victory for them in 2018. Now, the problem with that is Democrats have not proposed a real alternative because Nancy Pelosi was actually asked whether or not she would propose a single-payer healthcare system to kind of counter this, and she said it's not politically feasible right now. It's obvious that a lot of Americans are not too excited with this Republican bill. We've seen yeah. that in polling. A lot of Americans still want to see changes to the healthcare system sure, in America. Of course. Do you feel like the move for Democrats now is to make single payer a plank in the 2018 platform? No. I don't. They're thinking they're going to win after Republicans did this when they're proposing no real alternative. Again, the Affordable Care Act, it didn't go far enough. It certainly expanded coverage to more people, but there are still people that the Affordable Care Act left out. People are still dying. So unless Democrats come up with some type of alternative, they're not going to win. And Republicans will continue to screw us over. So it's so frustrating as I sit here and watch Democrats celebrate when uh, they had their opportunity to pass a Medicare for All system and they botched it and they passed a right-wing version of healthcare reform and now it is being repealed. We can't, we can't even have a health care uh, reform bill that is right wing. To the uh, floor of the House. Here's what you need to do now. Democrats aren't going to fight. I don't expect them to fight, but they damn well better filibuster this. However, I know that they're not going to propose an alternative, which is really how you win this debate. So the onus is on us. It's time for us to call our representatives to show up at town halls and let them know how you feel that we shouldn't be repealing the Affordable Care Act. We should be expanding the Affordable Care Act because it's not sufficient. We need to take that Medicare expansion and make it universal, make it apply to every single person so nobody dies or goes bankrupt because they don't have health insurance. That's what we need to be doing, and that's what we all have to tell our congressmen and women. Now, my representative actually is against repealing the Affordable Care Act, and he has co-sponsored H.R. 676, so he's in favor of a Medicare for All system. So I feel as though I'm adequately represented. However, the next closest representative would be Greg Walden, who's in my state of Oregon, and he's a Republican that voted to repeal the Affordable Care Act. So I'm going to call him. And if you have a representative that's already on the right side of history, then call the closest representative to you, because this is how we're going to make things happen. Um, so I will be calling Greg Walden. His number is 541 776 4646. That's his office in Medford, Oregon.
Hi, this is Representative Greg Walden. You've reached my district office in Oregon. Either all of our lines are busy or uh, you've called outside of our normal business hours. So if you'd like to leave a message or a comment for me about an issue currently before Congress, you can just press 1 now and leave that message. Now, if you're trying to reach some... Hi, this is Representative Greg Walden. Please leave your message for me right here. And please remember to include your name, mailing address, email address, and your phone number. Thank you very much for calling. Please leave your message after the tone. When done, hang up or press the pound key. Hey, Greg, I am a CEO for the health insurance industry, and I just wanted to call to personally thank you for your vote for the American Health Care Act today. You just voted to strip millions of Americans from their health insurance, and I just want to thank you because you're going to help me, a health insurance CEO, Get that yacht I've been saving up for. So this will be great because people with pre-existing conditions, now I can discriminate against them again, raise their costs, and profit off of it very heavily, take some more bonuses. And I just want to thank you because we gave you a total of $500,000. And clearly, you know, that was an investment that certainly paid off because you have done the health insurance industry's bidding like no other. So best believe, buddy, in 2018, the health insurance industry is going to have your back. And hey, you know what? Americans are going to die because of this. They're going to die because of your vote. But you know what? Thanks for looking out for me, a health insurance CEO, because what matters is that I can afford one or two more private jets, that I can afford a mansion. And, you know, I just really thank you for looking out for my interests. And I want you to pass that message along to your Republican colleagues, because... You guys are really, you're doing a great job. I mean, I know your constituents are probably angry that you're representing your donor's interests. You're representing my interests over their interests. But you know what? You're doing the right thing at the end of the day. You might go to hell because of it. But you know what? As long as I make more money, we're going to continue to support your elections, Greg. So, hey, kudos to you, buddy. You are doing a great job for us here in the health insurance industry. And you know what? If Americans die, fuck them, right? Because they're peasants. They're not worth anything. Their lives don't actually matter. So thank you so much, Greg, for standing up for me, a health insurance CEO. You really are a great person. Thank you. Uh, I hope you can sleep easily at night knowing that you're making me richer. Congratulations, Greg. So we don't give them a free pass. We call them. We let them know how we feel. Um, we make sure that we hold Democrats accountable as well because they have to propose an actual alternative if they're ever actually going to take back Congress. So this whole situation, you know, it's a lose-lose for Americans. We are forced to continue getting crumbs while, you know— Congress and their donors get away with murder. Now this is literal murder. They're, they're going to kill people as a result of their greed. And Republicans voted to kill people just to do the bidding of their health insurance donors. This is the country that we live in. It's time to stand up and fight back. Call them, show up to town halls, let them know that we're not just going to fight them on the repeal of the ACA, but we're going to fight for a Medicare for All system and we will not back down. Until it's Medicare for All, we will not stop fighting. 
President Trump recently vowed to, quote, totally destroy the Johnson Amendment. Now, the Johnson Amendment sets up a barrier between church and state, and it prohibits religious organizations from contributing to the campaigns of politicians. Now, this is important because we already have corporations buying off politicians and influencing elections, but if you get rid of the Johnson Amendment, this will lead to more corruption, but now instead of just corporations being able to buy off politicians, Religious figures can do it as well. Joel Olstein can purchase politicians and fund their campaigns, and then they can give him what he wants in the form of policy. Now, Donald Trump recently signed an executive order that brings his theocratic vision one step closer to reality. So NBC News explains, President Donald Trump on Thursday made good on a promise to allow religious organizations greater freedom in political speech. Trump promised during the campaign to dismantle the Johnson Amendment, which bans tax-exempt organizations like churches from political speech and activities. His executive order relaxes IRS enforcement of that ban, while the executive order signals a promise kept. Fully repealing the Johnson Amendment would require congressional action. The executive order, called Promoting Free Speech and Religious Liberty, also gives regulatory relief to companies that object to an Obamacare mandate for contraception in health care. That builds on the 2014 Hobby Lobby Supreme Court case which found that the Affordable Care Act mandate that certain corporations must provide female employees with no-cost access to contraception was a violation of the Religious Freedom and Restoration Act. Faith is deeply embedded into the history of our country, the spirit of our founding, and the soul of our nation, Trump said in the Rose Garden at a National Day of Prayer event with religious leaders and White House staff. We will not allow people of faith to be targeted, bullied, or silenced anymore. We are giving our churches their voices back, Trump said. While an earlier draft of the Religious Liberty Order reportedly would have let federal contractors discriminate against LGBT employees based on faith beliefs, Thursday's version did not include such provisions. So, with the removal of the anti-gay provision, this bill is ultimately less harmful. Now, the anti-gay provision that's referred to in this article uh, was that Trump would allow business owners to discriminate against LGBT clientele. So if you are, uh, if you own a bakery and you don't want to bake a cake for a gay wedding, you have the right to refuse service. Now that's discriminatory. It's unconstitutional. And thankfully he did not include that in this executive order. But nonetheless, this is still harmful. However, the extent to how harmful this is, is difficult to determine because these are all things that are already in place. I mean, the, the Hobby Lobby, uh, decision of the Supreme Court from 2014, it's already precedent. It's, it's, you know, it's law of the land. So I don't necessarily know what this would accomplish, but it certainly signals to the religious right that, hey, you know, I'm scratching your back. So in 2020, when I decide to run for re-election, I hope you scratch mine. And this is about corruption because Donald Trump will be running again. He's already raising money for 2020. And if he can get rid of the Johnson Amendment, then what he can then do is solicit donations from religious leaders like Joel Olstein. Now, if we get rid of the Johnson Amendment, this would put us on the path towards theocracy because we already saw the impact that corporate money has on our politicians. I mean, they just do the bidding of their donors. I mean, it's turned our country into an oligarchy. So if we allow religious organizations to start buying off politicians too, we will be a corporate religious theocracy. It's a nightmare scenario. So we absolutely cannot allow Donald Trump to destroy the Johnson Amendment. And Democrats need to actually pull their heads out of their asses and fight. This is not acceptable. This is something that 
will harm people. This will harm women. I mean, building upon the Hobby Lobby decision specifically harms women. They need to call him out. They need to actually be strong and resist him like they claim they're doing. Another thing that this does, which is problematic, is it feeds into the Christian persecution complex because Christians, they're not being persecuted. They're not the victims of bullying. Christians are a majority in the country. Their vice president is basically a theocrat. So how can he say with a straight face that Christians are bullied? You can certainly make the case that there is persecution and prosecution of Christians in other countries, in Egypt, in Iraq, but you can't say that in the United States. We are majority Christian. So you can't tell me with a straight face that we need to stand up for Christians who are so persecuted when that's not the case. They are a strong religious and political bloc that has power. They often get who they want elected into office. George W. Bush, Mike Pence, Donald Trump. So if you're honestly going to sit here and pretend as though they're the victims of bullying, they're not. We're not a theocracy. We shouldn't be moving in that direction. We should be moving in the direction of secularism because that's what our constitution and country was founded on Contrary to popular belief, we're not a Christian nation. Being a majority Christian country is not the same as being a Christian nation. Our country was not founded on Christian principles. And even if it were, that doesn't mean we should embrace one religion over the others, because what version of Christianity do we then embrace? Do we embrace the Old Testament? Do we embrace the New Testament? And certainly, if Republicans are going to purport to be religious, then why don't they follow Jesus' message? They just voted to repeal the Affordable Care Act and strip people of their health insurance. I'm sure Jesus would be super proud of that. So this isn't about religious liberty. If you are actually a Christian, you should be concerned with this because they're putting forward their fascistic version of Christianity where they don't do what Jesus wants. They're trying to put forward the Old Testament version of God because that's how they treat Americans. They have disdain for us. They're misanthropic and they don't want us to have health care. They want to send us off to die in more unnecessary, never-ending wars. And the party is committed to destroying life on Earth by undoing any progress we made to ameliorate climate change. So the Republican Party, Donald Trump, they are enemies to humanity. And by doing this, it's dangerous. So Democrats have got to fight. Now again, I don't know the extent to which this is actually even meaningful. Mostly this is just a symbolic gesture because Donald Trump really isn't doing anything more and you only have so much power through executive orders. But if he really does destroy the Johnson Amendment... Man, if you thought corporate corruption was bad, just wait until you get theocratic corruption. Whether you like it or not, Hillary Clinton is back in the news. And during an interview, of course, the inevitable question came up as to who she blames for her loss to a reality TV show star in 2016. And predictably so, she had nothing substantive to say. She claims to take personal responsibility. However, she immediately pivots to the plethora of reasons uh, that she had no control over that cost her the election. So let's watch and then uh, we'll talk about it. It wasn't a perfect campaign. There is no such thing. Um, but I was on the way to winning until the combination of Jim Comey's letter on October 28th and Russian WikiLeaks raised doubts in the minds of people who were inclined to vote for me but got scared off. And the evidence for that intervening uh, event is, I think, um, compelling, persuasive, 
Uh, and so we overcame a lot in the campaign. We overcame an enormous uh, uh, barrage of negativity, of false equivalency, and so much else. Um, but as Nate Silver, who I, you know doesn't work for me, he's an independent uh, analyst, but one considered to be uh, very reliable, you know, has concluded, you know, if the election been on October 27th, I'd be your president. And it wasn't. It was on October 28th, and there was just a lot of funny business going on around that. And ask yourself this, within an hour or two of the Hollywood access tape being made public, the Russian theft of John Podesta's emails hit WikiLeaks. What a coincidence. So, I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. So, did we make mistakes? Of course we did. Did I make mistakes? Oh my gosh, yes, you know, you'll read my confession and my, <laughs> my request for absolution. But the reason why I believe we lost were the intervening events in the last 10 days. And I think you can see I was leading in the early vote. I had a very strong, and not just our polling and, and data analysis, but a very strong um, assessment going on across the country about where I was uh, in terms of, you know, the necessary both votes and electoral votes. So, uh, yeah, she has done zero introspection. And, you know, some people will say, well, finally, this is a good sign because she's taking personal responsibility. Well, she wouldn't have said this if the uh, person who was hosting the event didn't ask her. And she immediately, again, she, she said, I take re personal responsibility. But if it wasn't for James Comey and Russian WikiLeaks, then I would be your president right now. So verbatim, she states, I was on the way to winning until the combination of Comey's letter and Russian WikiLeaks raised doubts in the minds of people who were inclined to vote for me but got scared off. Now, as evidence that WikiLeaks was in fact trying to harm her campaign and help Donald Trump's, she states, within an hour or two of the Hollywood access tape being made public, the Russian theft of John Podesta's emails hit WikiLeaks. Okay, first of all, what she's saying here is not persuasive because WikiLeaks maintains that it wasn't Russia who gave them the information, and seeing that the government has not released or declassified the information that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that Russia did in fact hack those emails and give it to WikiLeaks, well, you can't say that for certain as what happened. And second of all, she claims that WikiLeaks timed the release of John Podesta's emails so that way they can kind of do damage control for Trump. That was the implication. However, what she's talking about is what Julian Assange referred to as the October surprise, which he hyped up for months. He was talking about it since July. So if it is the case that he released it within hours of the Hollywood Access tape, well, he also released it on a daily basis. So to suggest that it was released as a means of damage control for the Access Hollywood tape, I think that's just a dubious claim. Now, second of all, she says that the so-called Russian WikiLeaks helped tank her campaign. However, notice that this is a tacit confession here, what she's doing. By saying that WikiLeaks harmed her, it wouldn't have harmed her if she wasn't guilty in the first place. Now, what did those emails expose? They exposed how Hillary Clinton and Debbie Wasserman Schultz colluded to literally sabotage Bernie Sanders' campaign. It wasn't just that the DNC was 
partial towards Hillary Clinton and biased in favor of Hillary Clinton, there was a concerted effort to destroy Bernie Sanders' campaign. That's what was revealed. So by saying that WikiLeaks hurt your campaign, why did they hurt you? Why could they have possibly hurt you, Hillary? It's because they exposed how you were guilty and corrupt and were rigging the primaries against Bernie Sanders. If Bernie Sanders had his emails hacked by Russia and released through WikiLeaks, do you think that would have hurt his campaign? No, because Bernie Sanders isn't guilty of rigging the primaries. He's not guilty of anything. So anything that WikiLeaks could have released on Bernie Sanders wouldn't have hurt him. If you weren't guilty in the first place, then maybe those emails wouldn't have hurt you. Now, when it comes to Comey's letter, maybe it's the case that Comey wanted to flip the election. We don't know his intentions. He's a Republican. Maybe that's why Democrats should stop getting cozy with Republicans and stop appointing Republicans to government positions. However, her campaign consistently downplayed the significance of the FBI investigation. I mean, from the get-go, she was talking about how this was just a security inquiry. She wasn't actually being investigated by the FBI, even though Comey later came out and said, I don't know what a, secu a security inquiry is. You know, we're investigating her. It's in our name. We are the Federal Bureau of Investigation. We're investigating Hillary Clinton. So, in other words, she lied to cover her own ass. However, I think that TYT's Michael Tracy does a fantastic job explaining how the Democratic Party is completely hypocritical in taking basically two different positions when it comes to the FBI investigation. I have a hard time believing that anybody that we're gonna be done debating this anytime soon because so much is still in flux and there's still such a stalwart unwillingness to actually grapple with the reality of what happened, which is that there was a concerted propaganda campaign launched by Clinton's campaign surrogates and Democrats to deny that the email server investigation was of any significance and to say that even people on the left who raised concerns about it during the primary process, they were in league with this right-wing hate mm -hmm. campaign against Hillary and they had no right to be bringing this up and it was just a cheap talking point that they were purveying. No, actually it turned out to be such a, not a nothing burger, but such a something burger that according to them now, in their estimation, it cost her the election. Mm, so if people don't come to grips with the, the propaganda and the and the active deceit that was used here to cover up which was a hugely which was a what uh, was a hugely consequential investigation then I don't see how we really move forward so in other words during the election Hillary Clinton downplayed the extent to which James Comey or the FBI could influence the election but now that the election is over she's saying oh James Comey he in fact did influence the election well maybe Hillary you should have been upfront with voters in the first place and told the truth about the fact that you were being investigated by the FBI and furthermore if you didn't set up a private email server in the first place none of this would be happening so I mean when it comes to the FBI and WikiLeaks Hillary Clinton can try to blame Julian Assange and James Comey all that she wants but that doesn't erase the fact that if Hillary Clinton wasn't corrupt in the first place these external aspects couldn't have flipped the election because if she never had a private email server to try to get away with being corrupt while she was Secretary of State, if she never tried to collude with the DNC to rig the primary against Bernie Sanders, WikiLeaks and James Comey could do nothing to influence the election. So Hillary Clinton has got to look in the mirror and be introspective and realize that what she did was run a terrible campaign, one of the worst campaigns in American history. Her campaign was bereft of policy. She made rookie mistakes that a seasoned politician should never make. She also divided the base, which you never do. And then she chose the worst possible vice presidential running mate instead of Elizabeth Warren, instead of Bernie Sanders. And she also didn't campaign in Wisconsin. She took the Rust Belt for granted. 
And you don't lose to someone like Donald Trump unless you're completely incompetent. So it's time that she actually wakes up and realize that it wasn't James Comey that forced her to set up a private email server. It wasn't WikiLeaks or Julian Assange that influenced Hillary Clinton to rig the primary against Bernie Sanders. These are all things that Hillary Clinton did to herself. And again, if you're not guilty in the first place, WikiLeaks and the FBI would have no dirt on you. James Comey and WikiLeaks, they couldn't have possibly influenced the election in favor of Donald Trump if Bernie Sanders were the nominee. Every time I'm forced to come out and talk about Hillary Clinton in 2017, my soul dies just a little bit more, you know? <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, it, it's really disgusting. I, I, I don't want to talk about Hillary Clinton anymore. However, I think it's incredibly important that anytime she says something ridiculous, we have to come out and rebuke her statements because Hillary Clinton, by saying that she did nothing wrong, she's going to influence other politicians, other Democrats to double down on a losing strategy. And whenever she comes out and speaks and says that she, you know, wasn't responsible for losing, she takes no responsibility, well, this divides the base. Hillary Clinton is a divisive figure. She's one of the most unpopular politicians in the country, and every single time she comes out and says things like this, well, the whole fight between progressives and Hillary Clinton supporters, it, it's just reignited, and there was a perfect example of this during a segment on The View. Every time I see her do an interview, I'm waiting for a moment where she just doesn't blame anyone but herself and acknowledges why they lost. Why? The reason why she lost was that her foreign policy at the State Department was a disaster. Her intervention in Libya led to terrorist havens and the infiltration of ISIS. She lost because she picked a bad vice presidential candidate. She didn't do proper groundwork in states like Wisconsin. In states like Michigan, in states like Pennsylvania, she lied to people. She made the decision. Oh, you can don't say, bring up the lie, please. Don't about bring up the lie. About don't having don't the bring server. Up lying about people. Okay, well she did. Yeah, let's not put lies in because if we're going to compare. But you, no, I'm not. I'm not here to. Gonna, no, no, I'm not here to compare one. But the lying, I just can't handle. Wait, go ahead, go ahead, babe. Did well, you I was just gonna, yeah. No, no, no. I was, I was gonna let you finish if you had. But I, I, I tend to agree. I was a little shocked when I saw her say that at first because I think there was a moment after the election when so many of us stopped after looking at those polls and the buildup, and we were like, "What did we miss?" In some ways, I think she might still be missing some of it. I think if she had said these both were a part of the problem, but that they but missed. She did. She no, said, she did, I, but, I, she but, said but that after Christiane actually egged her, she said, do you take any responsibility for this? Yeah. And I found that the fact that out of the gates her answer was the Russian thing in Comey, because I think there were there were messaging problems. She wasn't on the ground. A lot of the people that spoke she up. she won three million more votes than Donald Trump I, did. So her message was out there. People wanted to vote for her. And the bottom line is the FBI was investigating Trump's Russia ties and they, uh, since July, and they only mentioned that this March, no. yet they mentioned it in October. Sonny, I voted for her. I, I was, I'm a Hillary Clinton supporter. Yeah. But what I'm saying is I was disappointed by the interview because to me at this moment, what we, she needed to say was we missed the mark in a lot of ways. There were things we didn't hear. And it shows me in this interview, she might still not be, she might still be missing. I don't know that she missed the mark. I don't know that she missed the mark. She also lost the election because the election isn't run by the popular vote. It's run by the Electoral College, and she's a seasoned politician. And she should know that those states that she skipped out on, those states that she oh, didn't she go to, that, that cost her the election. Oh, really? She sounds she like knows. she did it because that's what cost her the election. That's what there I'm were saying. people she in the center of the country that felt the election ignored. was 
FBI Director Comey, what cost her the election, in, in her my herself. humble opinion, um, is, is, is Russia's hacking. And what cost her the election is if you look at the stats, people, uh, this was, I agree with White uh, Van Jones. Sense. This was a white lash. There's there have been studies. Twenty percent of people voted because of racism. And I think after eight years of a black president, there was no way that this woman Who was going to win. Twice. The there country no elected way. a black president twice because he was a good candidate. She was not a good candidate. That clip is an anecdotal example of a broader discussion that occurs every single time Hillary Clinton comes out and refuses to take responsibility for her terrible campaign. I mean, you saw what the Hillary Clinton supporters on that panel were doing. They were trying to make up dozens of excuses for Hillary Clinton. Well, it was because of this and that. And the hosts that dared to be reasonable were shut down. So, so this is a figure in politics that's incredibly divisive, and what she's doing is not just further dividing the base. She's also doing things that are harmful. She's saying things that are encouraging Donald Trump. So during the same forum, she claimed to be part of the resistance against Donald Trump, but she has not done a very good job at resisting Trump because she actually was asked about his Syrian airstrikes during the same event. And the so-called member of the resistance, who wants to be the leader of the resistance, said that she approved of his airstrikes and thinks that he should take them further. And she also insinuated uh, that Donald Trump probably shouldn't have alerted the Russians to the fact that he would be bombing a Syrian airfield, meaning Donald Trump would have killed Russian soldiers and sparked World War III. That's what Hillary Clinton is in favor of. So she wasn't just a terrible 2016 presidential candidate. She's just an unlikable politician. There's a reason why the base don't like her. There's a reason why voters think that Democrats are out of touch. It's because when people look at the Democratic Party, they think that Hillary Clinton is emblematic of the Democratic Party. And there's so many problems with Hillary Clinton that she's bringing down the rest of the Democratic Party. Now, people that looked to Hillary Clinton as, a, as an example of the Democratic Party are correct. Everything that's wrong with Hillary Clinton is also wrong with the Democratic Party. So as long as she's going to be out there, she's going to divide the left. She's also going to bring down the rest of the Democratic Party. Hillary, you're not going to be the leader of the resistance. You're a divisive figure. You're unlikable. We don't like you. We want you to go away and get out of politics. You have millions upon millions of dollars. You can do so many things that doesn't involve you being directly involved with American politics. I mean, you can take a cue from Jimmy Carter. You can make a difference in third world countries in the developing world, but you don't want to do that. You are so narcissistic that you are refusing to get out of the public sphere, even though you're one of the most unpopular politicians in the country. Hillary, you're hurting all of us. Your continued presence is hurting all of us and you're emboldening Donald Trump. You have to stop. Hillary Clinton recently declared that she is part of the resistance. Now I find this absolutely hilarious because for someone who's part of the so-called resistance to oppose Donald Trump, uh, she's actually cheerleading Donald Trump on because recently in the same event where she declared herself as part of the resistance, she actually applauded Donald Trump's militarism in Syria. And in fact, she even encouraged Donald Trump to bomb them more. So as someone who's part of the resistance, she's not doing a very good job at resisting Donald Trump. And the bigger problem here is that she's not just claiming to be part of the resistance, but 
She is indicating that she wants to step up and be a leader in the resistance effort. Now, this is problematic because Hillary Clinton embodies the crony capitalistic, corporate connected, warmongering, corrupt politician that has got to be resisted. So to say that she's part of the resistance is like saying that Benjamin Netanyahu is part of the Palestinian resistance effort who's fighting to stop Israel's illegal occupation. So you're not part of the resistance, Hillary. You're part of the problem. However, what she's doing is she's taking bold steps to drastically increase her influence in American politics. Not kidding. So Politico explains the former Secretary of State is building a new political group to fund organizations working on the resistance to President Donald Trump's agenda, spending recent weeks in Washington, New York City, meeting with donors and potential groups to invest in and recruiting individuals for the group's board of directors. Multiple people close to two-time White House hopeful and people familiar with the group's planning told Politico. She is looking to launch the group expected to be called Onward Together, a nod to her campaign slogan, Stronger Together, as soon as next week, they say. Clinton's spokesman declined to comment for this story. Clinton has been working with Dennis Chang, her campaign's finance director, who was previously the Clinton Foundation's chief development officer, to bring donors into the fold. So this is the Clinton Foundation 2.0. It's a super PAC. And what Hillary Clinton is doing to resist Donald Trump is infuse elections with even more money. Now, this makes no sense because Hillary Clinton outraised Donald Trump by a two-to-one margin. So to double down on a losing strategy is not the correct method if you actually want the Democrats to have a shot at taking back either the House or the Senate in 2018. And furthermore... Any candidate who accepts donations from this super PAC will be tainted because we know who backs Hillary Clinton. It's the big dogs. It's George Soros. Anyone who is running for Congress in 2018, she's giving them money and she's making them beholden to large mega donors contributing to them through her super PAC. And she is corrupting government even further. Hillary, you've got to stop. You are hurting all all of us by doing this and she thinks she's helping well actually i don't even believe that she thinks she's helping she's helping herself she's raising her public image she's one of the most disliked politicians in the country and she just can't get enough of the spotlight. Now, there's more to this story. So the International Business Times adds that, according to Axios, the former first lady will launch the PAC as a way of acting as a quiet catalyst for organizations she cares about. The aim is for it to eventually help 2018 congressional candidates, but with no intention of making it a vehicle to run for anything herself. So... By acting as a quiet catalyst, she will be infusing elections with dark money. Because it's a super PAC. That's what super PACs are all about. I mean, you have billionaires, millionaires, large multinational corporations donating money to these super PACs anonymously. And then those super PACs help out the politicians. And then in return, those politicians do the bidding of their donors. So she's making the Democratic Party more corrupt when they should be moving in the opposite direction. And what she's doing here by creating this super PAC is ensuring that 2018 will in fact be a bloodbath for Democrats. Now, after the Republican Party voted to repeal the Affordable Care Act, which will lead to people dying, it should be a bloodbath in the opposite direction, Republicans should lose. But what Hillary Clinton is doing is she's making sure that any chance the Republicans have or the Democrats have of taking back at least one of the houses so Republicans won't be able to push through anything they want. I mean, she's she's 
She's making it so that won't be the case. She's guaranteeing that Democrats will continue to be crippled. It's a fact that Hillary Clinton is one of the most unpopular politicians in the country, and every time she speaks, people dislike her more, and she sows even more divisiveness among the left. So if Democrats, if Tom Perez actually want to win, they need to tell Hillary Clinton to take a hike, because she's not helping the Democratic Party, she's harming the Democratic Party. So I mean, Hillary Clinton is just being selfish. She's trying to boost her profile. She wants that power. She's thirsty for power. And, you know, she she didn't become president. So she's finding other routes to, you know, uh, elevate her public profile. This is about narcissism. This is about Hillary Clinton. She's not helping. She is hurting us all. So, Hillary, you're not part of the resistance. You're part of the oligarchy that must be resisted because you are connected to Wall Street. You're a crony capitalist. You're a warmonger. You have donors that profit off of poverty and death and destruction. So to even think for a second that you could be part of the resistance effort, you're not. You are just as neoconservative as Donald Trump. And if anything, you're more neoconservative than Donald Trump. If you truly have altruistic intentions and want to make life better, if you want to use your power and influence to better the lives of the world's most disadvantaged, actually fund projects for startup companies that are trying to propose solutions for climate change, fund charitable efforts in third world countries, don't do this. Don't do this. A super PAC is everything that we hate about politics, and, and it's one of the main reasons why people were burning your bust and couldn't support you. So Hillary has got to stop. This is unacceptable. Senator Dianne Feinstein was recently asked at a town hall event whether or not she supports a Medicare for all healthcare system. Now, using talking points right out of the Republican Party's playbook, this was her pathetic response. What Bernie is proposing, it is a takeover of all medicine in, in the United States. And I don't favor that. Now, of course, we already know that her reluctance to support a health care plan that would literally save lives is dependent on the fact that she's taken hundreds of thousands of dollars from the health insurance industry. So we already know that she is cozy with her donor. She's doing their bidding and she refuses to represent you because she's looking out for her own electoral prospects. And since the health insurance industry funds her elections, she doesn't care about what you have to say. She cares about what they have to say because she's in it for the money. So we know she's corrupt. We know she's cozy with them. But we didn't actually know just how cozy Diane Feinstein was with her health insurance industry donors. So Common Dreams explains bucking growing momentum in support of a national single-payer system as well as a trailblazing effort within her home state. Feinstein told San Francisco voters during a town hall earlier this month, if single-payer healthcare is going to mean the complete takeover by the government of all healthcare, I am not there. At a second town hall a few days later, when asked if she would sponsor Senator Bernie Sanders' pending Medicare for All bill, she dismissed the effort as 
a takeover of all medicine in the United States. On Tuesday, the Money in Politics watchdog, Maplight, revealed that less than a week after those raucous meetings, Feinstein attended a fundraising event at the Washington, D.C. office of Avenue Solutions, a lobbying firm that represents major health insurers, pharmaceutical companies, and the primary trade association for doctors. According to reporter Andrew Perez, Feinstein supporters at the event were expected to kick in 1000 to 5000 for her re-election bid, meaning that Feinstein, who is running her fifth full Senate term, pocketed thousands from industry groups historically and vocally opposed to a government-run universal health care system at the same time that a popular push for such a program has never been stronger. So really, this is one of the most cut-and-dry examples of corruption uh, that you could find. She refuses to support something. She's using industry right-wing talking points to justify her lack of support for a system that would save lives and stop medical bankruptcies once and for all. Uh, but she doesn't want to do anything to help us because there's money to be made, not just for her donors, which is why they're funding her, but she wants to get reelected. She did this fundraiser with the health insurance industry because they're going to look out for her and help her get elected. They're going to fund her campaign. And look, we all know that you can't really win elections without money. So what she's doing here is disgusting. Diane Feinstein needs to retire because she's not representing us. If you're a United States senator, it's incumbent on you to represent the interests of the American people, but she's not looking out for the American people. She's looking out for herself, and by proxy of being selfish and looking out for her career, she is doing the bidding of the health insurance industry, which profits when people get charged exorbitant prices for health care. That's what Diane Feinstein is in favor of. She is taking a position that's literally pro-death, because she's selfish. So this cannot stand. She thinks she's honestly going to get reelected when she's just brazenly representing her donors. This is a textbook example of corruption and we cannot let it stand. So we need to call Diane Feinstein and tell her this is not acceptable. Either she changes her position or she has to retire. So her number is 202-224-3844. Do that instead. Yeah, so uh, she doesn't even give you the option to leave a message. So I'm going to look up her California office really quick and give her a call. So I'm going to call her San Diego office. That number is 
Office of U.S. Senator Diane Feinstein. Our office hours are 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. If you've reached this message during business hours, all of our lines are busy. Please leave a brief message including your five-digit zip code. If you would like a call back, please leave your phone number and we will return your call the next business day. Thank you for calling and we look forward to working with you. Hello, this message is for Senator Dianne Feinstein, and I just want to let her know that if she continues to refuse to support a Medicare for All system, she will be primaried and she will lose her job. I repeat, Dianne Feinstein will be kicked out of office. She will not receive a fifth term because she has proven the capacity to be completely corrupted. She refuses to support Medicare for All. And just last week, we know why that's the case. It's because she attended a fundraiser with health insurance industry donors. She's taken hundreds of thousands of dollars from the health industry over the course of her career. So she is literally refusing to support something that would save lives and stop medical bankruptcies once and for all because she's corrupt. So either she gets on board with the momentum in the country and supports Medicare for All, or she's going to be on unemployment this time in a couple of years if she doesn't stop doing what she's doing, being corrupt, doing their bidding. And really, I just want to take a moment here to shame Diane Feinstein for prioritizing the profits of her donors and her own political career above the health care of citizens. How do you sleep at night if you do something like that? There are people dying. There are poor families that have gone bankrupt and cannot afford health insurance when they had medical emergencies because of people like Diane Feinstein who refused to support a system that would save their lives. So shame on Diane. I don't know how she sleeps at night. You're just a bad person, Diane. So I would like someone to forward that message. Diane Feinstein is a bad person. She's greedy. She's corrupt. And if she does not get on board, she will be forced into retirement because we're done dying and going bankrupt because of corporatist Democrats who are corrupt like Diane Feinstein who don't want to support a system that would save lives. So that's all I got to say. Support it or retire. Each time I make one of these calls, I honestly get more pissed because <laughs> and, and I, I make more like moral judgments and call them bad people because I'm just getting sick of it. You know, all this work, it's not going to be for nothing. I'm not going to make a call every week or every day and just let it fall on deaf ears. I'm done. The American people are done. We're standing up. We're going to town halls. We're calling and we are demanding once and for all that you represent us or get out of office. So that's all I have to say about this. Um, please. We have to start urging these corporate Democrats to do the bidding of voters as opposed to donors. Otherwise, Republicans will remain in power because unless Democrats put forward an actual alternative, they're never going to win. And that's bad for all of us. It's bad for every single one of us in the country. So join the movement, join the real resistance and actually fight corporatism. Are you concerned with political corruption? Do you despise the way how politicians like Barack Obama do the bidding of Wall Street and then get immediately rewarded with $400,000 speaking deals as soon as he leaves office? Well, if so, Debbie Wasserman Schultz has a message for you. Mind your own business. Hillary Clinton, as you know, spoke today. Um, she, as we all are aware, was slammed during the campaign for taking millions of dollars from Wall Street for paid speeches, right? People saw it as hypocritical. People saw it as unfair for someone who said they were going to stand up to the banks. Now, President Obama, though, is being criticized by some of your fellow Democrats for his decision to take $400,000 for a single speech to Wall Street. Here is what 
uh, some Democrats are saying. It's not a good idea. And, you know, I'm sorry that the president, President Obama made that choice. I just think it is distasteful. Well, I was uh, troubled by that. Um, one of the things I talk about in the book is the influence of money. I, I describe it as a, you know, a snake that slithers through Washington. Um, and that it shows up in so many different ways here in Washington. Are they right? I mean, of all people to question whether or not they, they are, question their commitment to getting money out of politics, to really making sure that we restored integrity to the political finance process, uh, you know. But, but it's, but he's talking specifically about banks, more. right? Look, it is none of anyone's business what someone who is a member of the private sector decides to accept in terms of compensation. Uh, you know, with all due respect to anyone who chooses to comment publicly on what Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, or anyone earns as a member of the private sector, it's just like MYOB. It's none of your business. So you think even though, look, the banks are bigger than they were, uh, none of that None of that matters to you Look, at you this know point. What? I trust. No bank CEOs went to jail, anything. I mean, those are some of the things one would presume those are all of, Senator those Sanders are all and offensive. Warren are upset about. No, no, no. I, I agree. I think that there, there was a lot more that needed to happen to not only crack down on the big banks, but for the, there to be consequences for their actions. But as far as the compensation that an, a private citizen takes for a speech that they give, um, that, that's not my concern, nor any of our business. I look more at the public record of someone like Barack Obama and Hillary uh -huh. Clinton, and their pu public record is pristine. They both fought back against the big banks and their practices, and I have every confidence in the service that they both provided. Out of all the politicians in the country, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, she is one of the few that continuously is just shameless. So, I mean... <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. Let me, let's go back to her quote. So she says, it is none of anyone's business what someone from the private sector chooses to accept in terms of compensation. And then she goes on to say, quote, like MIOB, it's none of your business. Debbie, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Okay. Yes, it is the case that Obama is technically a private citizen. However, if I'm remembering correctly, I think it was Barack Obama, who was just the president of the United States. So it's a little bit odd that as soon as he gets out of office, after being soft on Wall Street, after not jailing the crooks that crashed the economy in 2008, that they are rewarding him with this multi-hundred-thousand-dollar speaking deal. Doesn't it look a little bit like corruption? Doesn't it look like they're rewarding him for doing their bidding while he was in office? Don't you think that that's important because it demonstrates a broader issue in the country about corruption, about how politicians serve their donors and then they get rewarded immediately when they leave office? I mean, don't you think that this is something that you should also be concerned about because it reflects poorly on everyone in the Democratic Party? I mean, at a time when a majority of Americans think the Democratic Party is out of touch because of things like this, Debbie is saying, you know what, mind your own business. 
And it's not that big of a deal, guys. I want to do this too. I hope that Wall Street gives me $400,000 too. So mind your own business. No, Debbie, it actually is our business and you should want it to be our business. You should be grateful that there's anyone even concerned with the affairs of the Democratic Party after what you did and after they have behaved over the course of the last eight years. You guys betrayed us. You sold us a lemon. And then when we don't come back to support you in the next election, you blame us. For your loss. That's not the way this works. If you actually want to represent Democratic Party constituents and progressives and independent leftists, then you actually need to represent us. But what Obama did was he showed who the party really is looking out for. Is Obama going on any speaking tour to help out the poor? Is he fighting for a Medicare for all system after he gave us a shitty Republican light healthcare plan? Is he going to third world countries and trying to cure hunger and famine? No, he's going straight to Wall Street, who he served very well during the, courses of, during the course of his campaign. And people are going to say, Mike, he put in place Dodd-Frank. He signed that into law. That cracked down on Wall Street. Dodd-Frank gave the government a little bit more power to try to reign in Wall Street. But the main things that led to the economic crash in 2008 have not been corrected. The problem is still there. And Obama did that. He did milk toast reform so he can brag about it and say, look, I cracked down on Wall Street. Meanwhile... How many executives from big banks did he jail? How many CEOs are sitting and rotting in the cell right now? Zero. And that's what should have happened. He didn't break up too big to fail banks. And, you know, it's funny because um, Debbie says here that you shouldn't look at what they're doing now. You need to look to their record. And the record of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, it's pristine. Their record is pristine, Debbie. Here's what I would call a pristine record. If Obama got in office and he signed a reinstatement of Glass-Steagall, that would be great. If he actually broke up the big banks, if he jailed the crooks that crashed the economy, that would be a pristine record. You want to know what would be a pristine record for Hillary Clinton? Let's talk about her record. She took $700,000, more than $700,000 from Wall Street, and she refused to release the transcripts. And then when we actually found out what she was saying... She was basically talking about how she has a public and a private position, so she'll tell voters one thing and do another thing. You call that a pristine record, Debbie? Well, to you, I mean, to Debbie in her world, she's living in, you know, bizarro world because to Debbie, you know, the primary was never rigged. She was forced to step down for whatever reason. Debbie, nobody wants to hear from you after what you did which we'll never forget, by the way, you should be in a cave right now. You should be so embarrassed with yourself. Your career should be over, but you're still out here denouncing people's legitimate concerns about political corruption when you want that party to get in office. Well, look, if the party wants to get elected again and ever get back into power, you need to stop doing things like this. So you should come out with Elizabeth Warren, with Bernie Sanders, and condemn what Barack Obama is doing. So if you're a millennial like me, there's a very good chance that you look up to liberal comedians, not just for the comedic value that they provide, but also for their political commentary, for the information that they provide to us about politics. However, as of late, the political comedians that we have in this country, they're not really speaking truth to power so much as they're carrying water for power. And once they began to realize that their millennial viewers don't really like Hillary Clinton, they started to scold us into submission, or certainly try to scold us into submission. So when us peasants decided to stop accepting the crumbs fed to us by the Democratic Party, well, now it's the case that these liberal comedians are doing everything in their power to get us to fall in line. 
Case in point. To the Bernie or bust people, you're being ridiculous. You did a great job. Your passion changed the Democratic Party, and that is no small thing. You should be proud of yourselves for his campaign, but also, you have to be quiet now. What do these Bernie or bust motherfuckers want? How do they plan to get it? And when will it be safe to go back on Facebook? And I can't get mad that the system is rigged against the white guy. So this is what you've been dealing with for months now if you're a progressive. People who you once respected, people who you once looked up to, are talking down to you and wagging, your fing wagging their finger at you. Uh, which is a phenomenon that I like to call rich splating. It's where a rich person talks down to you and thinks that they're better than you in the smug, rude way because you're not doing what they want you to do. You're not voting the way that they want you to vote. Now, we have a new round of rich splating that I want to talk about. So, first of all, Trevor Noah of The Daily Show doesn't like that we're opposed to Obama taking $400,000 from Wall Street as a reward for his service to them while he was president. Now, on The Daily Show, Trevor Noah argued that people are saying Obama shouldn't accept the money for his speech, so the first black president must also be the first one not to take money afterwards? Fuck that and fuck you, says Trevor Noah. Because if you're against corruption, Trevor Noah thinks you're a racist. That's literally the implication. No, Trevor, it has nothing to do with President Obama's race. It has everything to do with corruption. We elected Obama. We voted for Obama because we thought he would represent us. He claimed that he would do business unlike any other president in history. And look what he did. He betrayed us. He was super cozy with Wall Street. So how is it that we're supposed to just let him get rewarded after he betrayed us and not speak out. I, uh, that's what you're in favor of, right, Noah? It's unacceptable. Now, what's interesting to me is that Trevor Noah was so proud of this that the official Daily Show account on Twitter literally created a gif that they wanted to share to the world to just double down on this idiotic claim. But if that wasn't enough for you, Bill Maher went on CNN and he wanted to tell us how ashamed he is of us for thinking that Hillary Clinton was the lesser of two evils. Those people who said, uh, well, well, she was the lesser of two evils and a pox on both their houses. Now we have a hundred days of empirical evidence of what a Trump presidency looks like. They should be ashamed of themselves. And for the future, uh, we should note this, that you were wrong about Hillary just being the lesser of two evils. Hey, Bill, I'm not sure if you know this, but Hillary Clinton was, in fact, the lesser of two evils. And this wasn't just any ordinary case of the lesser of two evils. The two options that we were presented with were so evil that if you voted for one of them, you would most definitely get screwed over. They're both militaristic. You really don't have a choice. It's the illusion of choice. So yes, Hillary Clinton was, in fact, the lesser of two evils. And to deny that is to deny reality if you actually claim to be a progressive. Because what did she do recently? She applauded Donald Trump for his strikes in Syria. And she said Donald Trump probably shouldn't have warned the Russians that they would be bombing a Syrian airfield. So in other words, she was okay with Trump killing Russian soldiers, which would spark a new world war. You don't think that is the, uh, the lesser of two evils? You don't think that's evil at all, Bill? Just because Donald Trump is a terrible president does not mean that Hillary Clinton is good. And that's what these liberal elites need to realize. Yes, it is the case that I do believe that Hillary Clinton is the lesser of two evils when you compare her to Donald Trump. 
But the problem is that that evil is still so evil that it's not just about the lesser of two evils. I still can't support that much evil. Now, the thing about Bill Maher is that he said some things during this interview that I agreed with. He said that he wants Bernie Sanders to run for president in 2020. Uh, he said that the Democratic Party needs to wake up and that Hillary Clinton wasn't a perfect candidate. But here's the thing, Bill. You never spoke about Bernie Sanders. You rarely had him on your show. And currently, you keep having corporate Democrats on your show. You recently had Neera Tendon on your show. So if you actually want to be progressive, then why don't you have some progressives on your show? And I'm talking about true progressives, not these milquetoast progressives from the Democratic Party establishment that are in favor of identity politics, uh, but disregard economic issues that we all care about and are talking about. Why don't you do that, Bill, but you don't care? Now, there's another one, probably the worst offender here, because Bill is probably the least problematic of all of the liberal comedians who are smugging and uh, talk down to us, but Samantha B by far is the worst, because she actually dedicated an entire segment of her show during the primaries to burning your bust people, because we were angry that the primaries were rigged, and she was basically wagging her finger at us, making fun of us, implying that we were sexist because we were angry that Hillary Clinton cheated her way to the Democratic Party nomination. Now, she was asked whether or not smug liberals are the problem. Does he have a point okay. about smug liberals? I'm not talking about you, but, but, <laughs> but, but, does, but is there a smug liberal problem? You know, that is something that I can't really, I mean, I, I, I just can't take responsibility for the way the election turned out. I just absolutely no, no, I don't, I can't. Is there a smug liberal You told liberal her not problem? to go to Wisconsin. I guess I'm, I guess, you know, I don't, I don't think there is. Like, I do the show for me and for people like me, and I don't really care how the rest of the world sees it, quite frankly. That's great. We put the, we make a show for ourselves, we put it out in the world, we give, we birth it, and then the world receives it however they want to receive it. Fair enough. What can I do? Here's what you can do, Samantha. You can actually get out of your bubble and talk to grassroots activists because what these so-called liberal comedians don't realize is that being liberal is about more than just paying lip service to identity politics, which they claim to care about minorities, but I don't see her talking about anything important like criminal justice reform or immigration reform, but I mean, they pay lip service to social justice issues while completely ignoring our legitimate economic grievances that we have with the Democratic Party. But if you actually want to be liberal, you actually need to put your money where your mouth is. Actually go talk with grassroots activists. Stop doing propaganda for the Democratic Party. That isn't liberal. Don't just stand up for social justice, but also stand up for economic justice and justice in the form of Medicare for all. But you just continue to talk down to us and wag your fingers at us, condescendingly so, and you're proving our point. We say that elites in this country look down upon us, they think we're peasants and our lives don't matter, and by you continuously wagging your finger at us and being smug and condescending toward us, you're proving our point. That's how elites think of us, even liberal elites, ones who are supposed to be better than the Koch brothers. You are just as smug and arrogant as them. You may not buy politicians, but you're not doing anything to help us by carrying water for a corrupt corporatist party like the Democratic Party and not actually holding them accountable without actually talking about policies that would save lives, Medicare for all, how do you call yourself a liberal? And you think that you're on the right side of history, Samantha. You're not on the right side of history. You are stifling progress that grassroots activists are fighting for every single day while you sit in your mansion and look down on us. Here's the thing. This is my message to all of these liberal comedians. You're not better than anyone because you're rich. Your shit still stinks. You are no better than anyone in the country, even though you think you are, even though you're smug enough to believe that your farts smell great. People 
are people. Having money does not make you superior to us in any way, shape, or form. And if you actually want to be liberal, be liberal. Actually talk to people from the grassroots. Do that. Or shut the fuck up because you're not helping us. You are not helping us at all by carrying water for a corrupt party that desperately needs to reform right now. You're saying, no, they don't have to reform. You should have shut up and, you know, uh, take the crumbs that Hillary Clinton wanted to feed to you. Well, no, the peasants are revolting and we're not going to accept crumbs anymore. And you can either help us with that cause or you can no longer pretend to be liberal. The jig is up. We know what you're all about. You're rich. You think you're better than us, but you're not better than us. Even though it's the case that the water of Flint, Michigan has been contaminated with lead for multiple years, the residents of Flint, Michigan were still billed for the poison water that they couldn't drink. Now, rather than reimbursing every single resident that paid for their poison water that they couldn't use, the city of Flint is doing the opposite, and they are now threatening to penalize the citizens of Flint, Michigan, and threatening to take away their homes if they don't pay their poison water bills. Not even kidding. NBC 25 News explains thousands of people in Flint are at risk of losing their homes to foreclosure if they don't pay up on their water bills. After recently putting out shutoff notices, the city is now back to threatening tax liens on people's homes. I got scared for probably the first time since all this started. This actually scared me, said Melissa Mays, who is a mother and water activist who lives in Flint. Mays received the notice in the mail Friday stating that she must pay nearly $900 by May 19th to avoid a lien being placed on her property. The Mays family is not alone. More than 8,000 people are on the same notice. What gets them on this list is not paying a water bill for six months or more. After May 19th, for those who do not pay, a lengthy process begins which could end in foreclosure. Now again, the residents of Flint, Michigan, they still don't have clean water. They recently received funding for the EPA to begin replacing the pipes that have lead in them. So they still, most residents don't have clean drinking water. And you're threatening the residents who didn't pay their water bill. It's only reasonable to not pay your water bill if you can't use the water. Why would you pay for something that you can't use? I mean, they couldn't drink the water, but the city maintained that they could still bathe with the water. However, there are residents that talked about how the water was so potent that they actually had to open win windows because it burned their eyes. Like, this was bad. This was not water that is safe to human beings. So they didn't pay it in a move that was rational. I wouldn't pay it as well. It's the principle. You don't pay for something that you can't use. But yet, the city is now punishing them, saying if you didn't pay for your poison water, you're going to lose your house. You're going to become homeless. We're going to foreclose on you. Now, the city is doing this for a very specific reason. City leaders say they are in a bind and they need the cash. We have to have revenue coming in so we can't give people revenue. I mean, excuse me, give people water at the tap and not get revenue coming in to pay those bills, said Al Mooney, City of Flint Treasury Department. Mooney hopes the 8,000 tax lien notices that went out will prompt even more people to pay their water bills. If all of those were paid up, that would bring nearly $6 million for the city. So, in other words, the city's in a bind. They need money because the government of Flint is completely criminally incompetent, and they are trying to get that money from the citizens whose water they poisoned. This is despicable. I mean, for one, I don't know why the governor of Flint is not in jail right now. It, it's unbelievable.
This is a clear case of criminal negligence. Again, they did not have water for years. They still don't have water. Most residents in Flint, Michigan still do not have clean drinking water. And you expect them to pay their water bills and pay back water bills. I mean, this is one of the most unreasonable things I've ever heard. This is not just. This is unacceptable. You can't threaten the residents who have been suffering. But, you know, the city of Flint wants them to suffer even more because of their own incompetence and inability to raise funds. We are the richest nation in the world, and we have people who do not have access to clean water in the country, and we're punishing those people who made the rational decision to not waste their money paying for water that they couldn't use. That's unacceptable. That's egregious. That's not justice. That's injustice, and it's unfair. And to anyone in Flint, Michigan, there should be protests. To all 8,000 people who received this notice, you should be protesting your state legislature. Go to your city hall. Protest. Raise hell, because this isn't right. You cannot let them do this to you. Now, again, as I stated, to anyone that paid for the water that they couldn't use, they should be reimbursed for that, because you shouldn't be forced to pay for something that you can't use, especially if what they were paying for was detrimental to their health. Things have got to change in this country. There should be national outrage about this, but honestly, what has the mainstream media said about this? We need a political revolution where we change the way that we do politics in this country, where citizens are in control, not these greedy elites who continue to rip us off and profit off of our our lack of access to clean water, our lack of access to healthcare. It's just sick. So by now, I'm sure that most people know about the viral segment on the Jimmy Kimmel show where he talks about the traumatizing experience that him and his family went through where they had a newborn child that was born with a heart condition. Now, throughout the course of this segment, um, you know, he was crying and he talked about how Nobody should ever have to go through this and also have to simultaneously worry about whether or not they have health care. Just everyone who has a sick baby should be able to get that baby taken care of. So, I mean, he, he made some political statements. He talked about the need to um, protect Obamacare, or he certainly implied it. And, you know, it, it's not like he made this ringing endorsement of Medicare for all, but his heart was in the right place. I wish that he would have talked about Medicare for all, but he didn't. But nonetheless, you know, I think that the point that he made was largely agreeable. He said it doesn't matter if you are Republican or Democrat. We all care about, you know, protecting fa families and sick babies, right? So what he said was perfectly reasonable, you know. Um, but nonetheless, there were still some Republicans who were triggered by what he said and decided to come out and attack him, revealing that they are, in fact, the party of death, and they're just misanthropic. I mean, call it what it is. The Republican Party, they hate human beings. They're committed to destroying life on the planet. And if anyone comes out and says otherwise, who talks about protecting human life, well, then they got a problem with that. They get triggered by that. So, according to CNN, White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney called Kimmel's clip Wednesday very emotional before sharing his own story about his 17-year-old triplets being born with health issues. I've seen the agility of having a premature baby or sick baby, he told Fox News before adding, 
everybody, I think, agrees with Jimmy Kimmel. We have enough money in this country to provide care for those types of folks. But Mulvaney pushed back on the idea that Republicans who are currently trying to pass legislation to repeal portions of the Affordable Care Act want to block people with pre-existing conditions from receiving health coverage. Former Illinois Representative Joe Walsh, however, tweeted that Kimmel's sad story did not obligate Americans to support the Affordable Care Act. Sorry, Jimmy Kimmel, your sad story doesn't obligate me or anybody else to pay for somebody else's health care. The nationally syndicated radio host tweeted Tuesday, got no problem with Jimmy Kimmel tearing up and getting political, got a big problem with we need government-run health care because of my sad story. Washington Times columnist Charles Hurt accused Kimmel of making a personal story partisan. After his slobbering wet kiss to federal bureaucracy, Mr. Kimmel then went squealing on about Obamacare and how insurance companies, the government, and your neighbors should all be forced to pay for everybody else's health care. The conservative wrote, Easy thing to say for a gazillionaire from Hollywood. Daily Beast conservative columnist Matt Lewis said Kimmel's monologue was a little cheap. I completely understand where Jimmy Kimmel is coming from, he said Tuesday on Anderson Cooper 360. The passion, I think, is sincere. I don't think that this is the right move for him to politicize this. Okay, so for any Republican who spoke out against Jimmy Kimmel, you're just a bad person. You're a scumbag. Just admit that you hate human beings. I mean, think about what they said here. Don't politicize the situation. Well, look, I hate to break it to you, but any medical emergency is just inherently political because of the way our country is. If you have a medical emergency and you don't have health insurance, you either die or you go bankrupt. If you do have insurance, but you have a high deductible and you have a medical emergency, you still might die or go bankrupt. That's the state of the country. Now, you can make it so that way healthcare isn't politicized and pass the Medicare for All system, but of course they wouldn't do that because Republicans are bankrolled by the health insurance industry. So these scumbags don't like it when anyone says something that contradicts their narrative. When we talk about, you know, togetherness and all coming together as a society to make sure that babies don't die because of lack of insurance, they don't like that. I mean, they're literally attacking someone who is standing up for the lives of babies. Aren't they the pro-life party? Don't they rail against uh, people who have abortions? I mean, what's happening here? This is one of the dumbest things they could attack Jimmy Kimmel for. And really, it shows that they just have no regard for human life. In fact, they hold us in contempt. They don't like human beings. It's, it's so clear. Now, I want to get to what they said. So Mulvaney, who could empathize with Jimmy Kimmel, he said that the Republican Party, they're not actually trying to block people with pre-existing conditions. But that's exactly what you're doing. Your bill, the American Healthcare Act, would give governors the discretion to allow health insurers to discriminate against people with pre-existing conditions. Because... If an insurance company wants to charge someone with a quote-unquote pre-existing condition, which again, it's up to the insurance company to uh, determine what is and isn't a pre-existing condition, but if they say they want to charge people with a pre-existing condition, an exorbitant cost, if they want to charge them $900 a month for healthcare, and if they don't, if they don't agree to that cost and they don't get healthcare and they die... You're screwing them over. You're going to leave a lot of people out and many will die as a result of your contempt for humanity. So Mick Mulvaney is a liar. And honestly, the fact that he is telling me about having a similar, a similar situation with triplets, you know, to 
so he could empathize with Jimmy Kimmel, that makes me view him even worse. Because if you can empathize, if you've been in Jimmy Kimmel's shoes, then how can you sign on to a healthcare law that will make it so that way more families would lose their health insurance? How could you do that? So if anything, you're not, you're not humanizing yourself. You're telling us that you're the scumbag that we thought you were. Now we have Joe Walsh. You know, he can't stop saying idiotic things. He said, you know, it's a sad story, but that doesn't obligate us from helping out other citizens. So you mean to tell me that in a hypothetical situation, if you, can, if you had money to spare and you knew that a baby would die if you didn't spare that money, you're honestly going to throw your hands up and say, oh, I'm not obligated to help. It's not my problem. That's honestly what you're willing to do, Joe Walsh. Because if so, you're just an asshole. You're a bad person. That's sickening. See, this is the difference between liberals and conservatives. So uh, when it comes to liberals, they've kind of always stood by this philosophy up until recently of we're in this together. But conservatives always believed in yo-yo, you're on your own. So if you get sick, if you need help, you know, we don't come together as a society to help each other out. You know, we just let you die. What's the point of even having a country? I mean, when we pay taxes, we are giving the government money for certain services. We expect them to give us paved roads to drive on. We expect the military to defend us from external threats. And we certainly ex expect them to protect us if we need health care. But Republicans are saying, no, you know what, it's not my problem. Jimmy Kimmel, he's just politicizing this. You know, he's an opportunist. No, you're being opportunistic. What Jimmy Kimmel is saying is something that any reasonable person on the left or the right should believe. And if you don't, you're just a bad person. You're misanthropic. Just admit it. I mean, it's already bad enough that the Republican Party is doing everything they can to undo what little progress we've made when it comes to climate change. But they're doing more to strip citizens of their health care. I mean, we couldn't even keep a right-wing health care policy. They decided to vote to repeal that and take that away from us as well. So they just don't want us to have anything. We're supposed to suffer. The rich are supposed to get richer and we're supposed to get poorer. Well, uh, good luck trying to sell that to your constituents because it's not going to work. People are waking up. And by and large, America is a progressive country. When you pull them, when you look at the issues, we're progressives. So continue to do this, Republicans. You're going to get your way now, but in the end, you will not win. This week, I received a voice message from one of my viewers named Dylan Jones, who has a question about the 2020 election. Hey, Mike. First off, I absolutely love your show and congratulations on the 100,000 subs. If anyone's deserved it, it's you, man. Uh, I know it's still a bit too early to really talk about this, but who do you personally see as the best candidate to run in 2020, assuming Bernie decides not to run? Uh, I know Elizabeth Warren is showing all the signs pointing to her wanting to run, and everyone seems very excited and very convinced that she would win, but it actually worries me more than excites me, you know? I, I feel like her decision to hold her head down during the primary is only going to bite her in the ass later on, and... You know, it only provides Trump with ammo to attack her with. And we all know that if Trump is good at two things, it's manipulating people and finding effective ways to attack people that stick. Uh, for me personally, I think Tulsi Gabbard is the perfect option. You know, I, I know she's not showing any signs that she wants to run, but, you know, her progressive record on top of the fact that she has military experience could prove to be the most useful asset that that we could ever look for in a Democratic candidate because her military experience offers to bring over more right-wing 
and centrist voters. But um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it, man. Uh, again, congratulations on the 100,000 subs and keep up the awesome work. Thanks for listening, man. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for the kind words, and thank you for sending me the voicemail. Uh, if anyone else would like to send me a voice message, you can do so at humanistreport.com on the front page. But look, to address your question, I think that I agree with you, actually. I think, you know, when it comes to Tulsi Gabbard and Elizabeth Warren, I would support both of them if they decided to run for president, and certainly I would vote for either one of them, uh, you know, in favor of uh, Donald Trump. But... W- I do agree with you. I think you have a good point when it comes to Tulsi Gabbard being the more well-rounded candidate because I think that she would appeal more to independence. And this is primarily because, like you said, she's a veteran, but she also has non-interventionist foreign policy positions that might even appeal to people that voted for Trump but who are disappointed by Donald Trump's militarism. So people like Paul Joseph Watson who supported Trump but no longer support him because of his bombing of Syria. So I think that, you know, Tulsi can have this crossover appeal. Now, when it comes to Elizabeth Warren, I think that her record is great. You know, she created the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and she's in favor of policies like Medicare for All, things that the American people, by and large, support. So I think that Elizabeth Warren is a strong candidate, but with that being said, we can't deny the fact that Elizabeth Warren has baggage. I mean, she decided to make a move that was just not okay. She made a political miscalculation during the 2016 primaries and chose to endorse Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders when she agrees with Bernie Sanders on the issue. So it showed that, you know, she certainly is um, she's not as principled as Bernie Sanders and she's not willing to fight when we really need her to fight. So I would support Elizabeth Warren because I do think she has a good voting record. Um, I do think that she, by and large, cares about us, but she needs to stop being so calculative. Like, stop thinking about the political repercussions, stop thinking about your career, and just do things that we want you to do. Stand up for us, speak out against the... Uh, the violence against these Standing Rock protesters. I mean, she didn't do that until Obama condemned it. So it's just, she's always too little too late to a lot of issues. And, you know, that's part of the reason why I would support Tulsi Gabbard over her. Now, that's not to say that Tulsi Gabbard is perfect. I do do disagree with her on certain issues. But I think that overall, she is someone who, she's willing to speak her mind and not think about the political consequences. I mean, she literally resigned from the DNC to uphold their neutrality charter so she could endorse Bernie Sanders. She went to Syria and spoke with Assad so she can figure out what the hell is actually going on there. And there were political ramifications for it. The party's calling for her head. But she did it anyway because she she knew that there was something that the mainstream media wasn't telling us about the situation in Syria. So yeah, you know, I think that you're absolutely right, Dylan. I think Tulsi is the stronger candidate, but I absolutely would uh, prefer either Tulsi or Elizabeth Warren over Donald Trump. I also would love to see Nina Turner run because I think she's great. And there's also Ro Khanna. You know, he is a progressive firebrand and I love it. So there's a lot of great progressives. There's also going to be a lot of corporatists and what you're going to see in 2020 certainly is a rehash of the 2016 elections. You're going to see a, a an establishment candidate, maybe Andrew Cuomo, run against a progressive like either Elizabeth Warren or Tulsi Gabbard. Um, and, you know, hopefully the true progressive actually wins because progressives are just more popular. And Tulsi Gabbard, again, she has crossover appeal. So if they really want to defeat Donald Trump, the DNC isn't going to pull any bullshit that they did in 2016 and try to rig the primary against Tulsi or Elizabeth. Um, but yeah, you know, 
to get, get back to your point, I support either one of them if they decided to run. Certainly Tulsi Gabbard more, but I would definitely vote for Elizabeth Warren if she beat Tulsi, you know, in the primary. So yeah, that's my thoughts. I know it's early, but you know, this, this is something that we should be thinking about in advance because uh, we can't mess this up, man. We got, we've got to defeat Donald Trump and we don't defeat Donald Trump with a corporatist. That's not going to motivate people to come out and vote for a Democrat. Nobody wants corporatism. Nobody wants Republican lights. We want someone who's going to be progressive and you don't win and defeat Donald Trump by putting forward a liberal billionaire like Mark Zuckerberg or Mark Cuban. Uh, you, you do that by putting forward a true progressive. Hey everyone, so I am here with Nico House. He is an individual that worked for Bernie Sanders and he was one of the first people to kind of blow the lid off of the DNC's internal sabotage of Bernie Sanders' campaign. But also, he's a really important resource right now because Nico has been assisting the attorneys involved in the DNC fraud lawsuit for months. So he was there for the entire five-hour hearing, and he's here to give us the scoop. So Nico, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no problem at all. Thank you for having me, man. I'm a big fan of the show. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, so can you just give us a general rundown of some of the most interesting things uh, during the hearing? Um, well, I think we should probably start with the beginning because I think this is a question that gets asked all too often, but many people don't really get an answer to is how do we know it's going to be unbiased? Well, Jared, as you've heard at this point, I'm sure he's an excellent counsel. And the reason he's an excellent counsel is because he does his research. Um, he researched the, ju the judge thoroughly. We come to learn that he used to be a Democrat, but he actually switched to the Republican Party because of the corruption of the Democratic Party. So, wow. one thing. Yeah. And um, to capitalize on that as well, he is known for as a judge that will make firm stances on corruption. He will make revolutionary stances on corruption. And that has kind of been his stamp as a judge in South Florida. Um, and so a lot of people are concerned because they're saying, which we all know, the justice system can be a little rigged, and especially the judgeship position now that you can have republic, you can announce now that you're a Republican or a Democrat, a federal judge, whereas before it didn't used to be like that. They, you know, they're worried that it could be rigged in their favor. And that was something that we considered from the very beginning. And we got lucky to sit because we can't really control the judge, right? But in a situation where, where you would hope that some type of divine intervention would intervene, uh, that's what happened. <laughs> so um, we so we we're, we're pretty good there, right? And going forward, the next questions would be, well, what are the grounds for the lawsuit? And I don't want to get into all the legal jargon because sure. <laughs> sure. you know it can get a little convoluted. But the main basis is that the DNC is a private entity, in which the DNC attorneys will go in um, into the details of what what kind of private entity they consider themselves, but. Just general notch, everybody knows if you're a private entity, you're one of a few things. You're either a sole proprietorship, you're a limited liability company, you're a corporation, or you're a nonprofit. Those are your only options. And so if they're not a sole proprietorship, which they're not, and they're not a limited liability, they're a full-blown corporation, or they're a nonprofit. And all four of those have what are called fiduciary duties. They're called fiduciaries, and they have certain fiduciary duties that they owe, especially when there's money involved. So that's the biggest argument that we have I mean, representing four, uh, four classes, but the main class, obviously, is the people who donated the Bernie Sanders campaign um, after being told by the, the person in charge of the DNC, Debbie Washington Schultz, that it's going to be a fair race. Later on, we obviously find that it wasn't a fair race. Um, Jared's arguments, 
absolutely just just solid. He was he was awesome, magnificent. Couldn't have delivered it any better. He was a lot nicer than I would have been. That's the only thing that was really different <laughs> about it. Um, and um, and we talked about something that we're going to introduce in the case coming uh, if if the motion is denied and we get to proceed with the case. Um, but then probably the most interesting arguments came from the other side of that fence, which was on the defense side, which a lot of people have been talking about. And I don't want to harp too much on the, yeah, we can, they can go behind the room and smoke cigars and choose the, the candidate that way. And nobody can say anything about it. Cause like, to be quite frank, we obviously know this. Yeah. The DNC attorney is saying that. And I, from a legal standpoint and objective standpoint, am just going to believe that he's saying it because he needs a defense. He has to give one. Right. Not right. saying that it's right for him to say that he needs a defense though. But, we can't pretend that we didn't know that that's pretty much how they run things is they do go through their back channels, have cut back room deals, and they make their decisions based off of what they want and what's better for the establishment wing of the party. And that's how we ended up with the, you know, with the Donald Trump as president. We don't need someone to break it down like that. And th this probably shouldn't have been what pissed people off. What should be what pissed people off is the fact that their whole case is based off the fact that they denied ever being um, biased uh, in favor of Hillary Clinton. That's what their actual defense is. And many people have gotten confused thinking that they say that they're allowed to be impartial. Now, I think there's something important to understand about what that means. Their main defense, which, of course, if you, I'm sure you're going to post a transcript, so read through those and you'll see this. Their main defense is that they were completely and totally impartial. And But they go into thorough detail about how they don't need to be. Now, if you didn't need to be impartial and you were absolutely sure that that was a concrete you know that was a concrete argument and there was nothing else really that needed to be said because there's so much precedence out there because this is legal stuff we're talking about now there's so much precedence out there that proves we don't need to be impartial because of a b c d why not use that as your main defense hmm. Because they know as well as we do, they know as well as Jared did, which is why he provided several federal court cases, that that's not true. A fiduciary is just that. And the fiduciary duties isn't the term we just invented out of thin air. You know? Right. <laughs> when you're talking about millions of dollars involved in something, especially as, you know, as crazy as this, like, I mean, the whole thing was a circus. But you're talking about millions of dollars involved, and then we find out that the main spokesperson and the leader of this party violated their charter. And then they say that, oh, that charter doesn't mean anything. Then you've essentially lied. You either lied about the, the you lied through the charter, you lied about the charter, and you have to establish a charter when you're incorporated. If I wanted to start a business today, I would still, or a nonprofit, for example, I would still have to create some type of charter if I'm going to sell people. Like, these are the rules, right? Right. They said these are the rules, and those weren't the rules. It's pretty obvious that there has to be some accountability, um, which is why the federal government established fiduciary responsibility so that people aren't taken advantage of with corporations and nonprofits or whatever that can afford witty lawyers. Right. So is that basically the crux of um, Beck's argument um, going forward? Is it basically that they said that they were impartial? But they weren't, so therefore, by taking money while claiming to be impartial, that was an act of fraud. Is that essentially what? Essentially, yes, that is it. Because when you can't, because it's not like they were just given the money. Um, and there are a lot of Bernie people who not only donated to Bernie but donated to the DNC too because they wanted to see 
the Democrats win because at this point we were under the impression that that money was also being shared impartially. We later find out that's not true. Obviously, as you know, by the denial of Tulsi Gabbard's funds for her campaign. Right. So that wasn't even true. And she was. And what's even wilder about that is she was going against another Republican. It wasn't even like she was running against a Democrat. Right. So they solicited. And if they, they if they're saying they didn't solicit, I have 50,000 emails with them begging for money time and time again. They solicited funds under their guise that they were impartial, that they were doing what's best and probably most importantly, what's best for the Democratic Party going forward. Even if you want to say, well, it doesn't matter if they do what's best for progressives. No, but they do have to do what's best for their party members. Right. You know, they, they have a set of rules that people who joined the Democratic Party thought that they were going to abide by to ensure um, the best for the party members. And that's simply not the case. Right. Obviously, they're not. One thing that I wanted to address a little bit further was the argument that they're a private organization. So since they're a private organization, you know, they can do anything what you, you, what they want to do. Well, one thing that I like about Beck's argument is that he's actually broadening the scope of what's at stake. He's making this about democracy because I don't really care that you're a private organization. You field candidates that run for president. So you influence democracy. So I don't care if you're a private organization. And furthermore, the fact that you're a private organization isn't influential to me because private organizations can commit fraud. And this was obviously <laughs> an do. act of fraud, yeah. right? It happens all they the do. time. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you was because they're claiming that they were impartial and that there's no evidence. So do you think that the WikiLeaks emails will be admitted into court? Ooh, yes, they're in the public domain. Okay. And then what makes... I think we were laughing about this on my my live stream the other day with me, Jared, and Liz. But I think what kind of said the deal was when when Colin Powell was like, "Well, uh, there are more coming." So, and these are all true. Like, what do you do at that point? Nobody has denied it. They're gonna go on the stand and ask because this judge. I'm not sure if you read the transcripts, but uh, he's very thorough in asking his questions. And he asked, you know, questions like, "Is it the DNC's job to be impartial?" Do they donate money? Do they fund specific candidates? Do they, do they favor one candidate over the other at the state parties? Do you fund the state party? Like crazy specific questions to the defense. And I mean questions that even Jared admittedly said, I've never seen a judge do anything this thorough. Um, even the counsel of the defense himself said, uh, I've never seen a judge more uh, prepared than the attorney. Um, but it's, it's, it's going to be... It's going to be... It's, 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 I don't even know. It's <laughs> it's just crazy to me because I keep thinking about like how caught off guard he was, you know. And the, when he asked questions, do they fund parties? I'm not even sure they don't fund the party. When we have emails saying the the email that leaked via WikiLeaks actually that they're not going to fund Tulsi Gabbard, right. you know. And when we know for a fact when the Hillary Clinton the Hillary Victory Fund story broke, uh, the super PAC was funding the state parties. By the way. I know political got credit for that, and then TYT said something about that. Um, I was actually the person to break that story. Hmm. I told that story. To, I called Jordan Sheraton. He was actually the first, ma second major journalist outside of U.S. Uncut, um, the editor-in-chief for U.S. Uncut, that I called, and I broke that story, and I was actually never rightfully given credit for it. They only knew because I had a mentor who essentially was so deep in the North Carolina Democratic Party process that he was able to pinpoint something like that because, obviously, that's a pretty big, like, and like elaborate scam, right? And somebody inside the party would have to know exactly what that's about before they can bring it to the story. Because who would know that right. that they were funneling money directly through the part to the parties from specifically the Hillary Victory Fund? 
Right. Like the reason I knew is because I was a person. I was. Uh, I, I talked to a person who was in the treasury of the North Carolina Democratic Party. Right. So. Um, well, yeah, credit, yeah so. credit to you because you've you've done a lot. Like as I mentioned at the start, you broke the story on the internal sabotage, and you basically. Mm-hmm. I think you were incredibly level-headed. You explained very carefully and clearly what was happening and what was weird to you, mm-hmm. and you didn't make the statement that this is definitely internal sabotage. It could be incompetence, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of things that just don't add up. Um, so you yeah. worked for Bernie Sanders in North Carolina. Can you just mm-hmm. kind of run over some of the things that you witnessed just briefly? Man. I know there's a yeah, lot. Though. So the, yeah. Uh, first thing, first and foremost, um, I got a, a, a phone call. I can't say the name, but I got a phone call saying, hey, man, they're about to hire a state director. This lady cannot be it. And I said, well, why do you say that? He's like, Just do your research and you'll know almost instantly. So I do the research. Hillary Clinton stuff everywhere, all over Facebook. And this, and at first we were thinking like, hey, we'd be smarter than this, right? Now we know enough about Hillary Clinton's campaign, the people that work for her. Probably not. So, um, yeah, but Hillary Clinton stuff all over Facebook. All over her Twitter, a week, week or two before she gets hired, I'm with her, blah, 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 blah. You know, the obvious telltale signs. Um, so, but I didn't say this woman is guilty yet. I just said, now I'm going to keep my distance. I'm going to watch from afar. I'm going to see how, she, how things play out. So the first thing that happens is that we have a few major events that are just constantly being canceled, 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 canceled. And I'm like, why? Because state director said so. Because state director said so. And I was like... Okay, this is starting to become a pattern because there's a lot of man hours going into this at this point and people are getting pissed. So red flags. Next thing you know, I me and another one of Bernie's employees that helped them help to win the black vote in New Hampshire did such a good job that they begged her to work in North Carolina. She had her suspicions as well. And she called me and we had a one on one three hour conversation about all the weird things that both of us were seeing. Um essentially, you know, you, you get gear and, and, and swag and, and information to pass out door to door was being held. Hey, can we canvas? No. Firing people for one person got fired because she stood up to her, emailed the, the, um, she emailed the, one of like the head of the human resources saying, Hey, this girl is trying to go see her father at her funeral, see her father's funeral or a friend's funeral, essentially. And this woman will not let her go. Aisha fired her after she had a bunch of things proving, hey, no, I've been going back and forth with her about this time and time again. And so I didn't go over her head. It just needed to be done. Um, So that was weird. And I was like, okay, well, maybe she's just, you know, like a bitch. I don't know. That could be it. So I didn't want to put too much stock into that. But then the final straw, two things happened in one day. Right before spring break, um, a spring break that's probably the most memorable spring break of my life at this point, um, I got a phone call asking me, hey, Nico, when are you going to be here? Or when are you leaving? I'm like, why? Oh, we just need to know. I was like, well, I'm probably leaving tomorrow. Oh, okay, that's fine. And I'm like, okay, that was weird. So then I get a text message the day before Bernie Sanders comes to North Carolina, the, the day before. I'm pissed at this point. Because what I'm asked to do in that text message is, hey, can you get all the colleges around North Carolina to pretty pretty much help set up for this, get everybody to come, a day's notice? And they're like, I was like, well, why did you not think that this is important to tell me? 
oh, well, it was because um, we didn't want the information to get out. I'm like, I'm the director of all the colleges from North Carolina, and you have usually been using our free labor at this point. Um, and the campaign has oftentimes taken credit for this. I have people who are a little irritated because I keep having to give them last minute information because of this lady. And I want some answers. And then I asked my other contact from New Hampshire that's back in North Carolina. I said, did you know about this? Nope. I was like, so you're telling me literally nobody knew about this, but like two people. And I'm like, yeah, I was like, so they didn't think anybody important to the campaign would need to know that Bernie Sanders was coming in a day. You know, like they thought that we just couldn't we just couldn't help ourselves, you know, and then I'm like the same. And then it's the same. This is all one day. It was a crazy day that night. Remember, I told you I had the contact from New Hampshire. Right. I get a phone call saying I'm not allowed to talk to her. and She's fired from the campaign. So I was like, oh, because at this point, me and my contact made it perfectly sure that we weren't going to talk, tell each other, tell anybody that we knew each other. Um, Oh, that's interesting. What did she get fired for? Oh, we can't tell you, but it's illegal to talk to her now. Wow. <laughs> I was like, okay, Bernie <laughs> did not pay me anything, so it's not illegal to do anything. But okay, copy that, Roger. Thanks for the information. Of course, you know, I call my contact. I say, hey, man, you just said, you know, you're fired. She's like, from what? I like, from the campaign. She was like, I'm not fired. I was like, well, that's not what so and so said. And she's just like, I'm going to call you back. And then, crazy, the next day, we start, of course, the rise happened. I'm driving to Miami, um, and I'm getting these phone calls, crazy phone calls from like a bunch of people all over the state saying, hey, did you know this happened? For example, the president of the North Carolina NAACP didn't know that Bernie Sanders was coming. None of the black leaders knew, which obviously, as you know, given his campaign was incredibly uncharacteristic, that's usually the first people he reaches out to. Right, right. Um, when they tried to meet him, Aisha actually fought to stop them from talking to him. I'm so serious about this. Fought to the wow. point where somebody had to pull rank on her, move her out of the way to let the, the, the black community come and take pictures and shake hands with them. Like pretty much try to make somebody burning one nothing to do with them. I'm like, that is so interesting. And, and that was course, the narrative that we saw pushed through the DNC as well. It wasn't just, you know, Aisha doing that. It, it was it happened and it was almost like clockwork until and then of course i had my suspicions too because one of the people on his campaign finally reached out to me after you know after everything simmered down because like legally you couldn't do so but he reached out to me he said the stuff that i was the strategies that i was giving to burning for the black community was not we're not getting back down they he like pretty much that they were purposely being blocked he's like some of it maybe Bernie just didn't like some of it but they we're not getting back to him on purpose. And obviously, as you know, with the Jeff Weaver situation coming out, um, and it's not surprising because, like, who else would hire Tad Devine for such a progressive guy? If people knew his record, like, they would have pinpointed Tad Devine immediately. But I went, I wasn't going to do it just sheerly off his record. Like, he didn't show me anything that was crazy. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't go with that. But I didn't know what I knew. And I knew my history of Hillary Clinton, that state that most people have no idea about. They don't know Monsanto is in North Carolina. They don't know Monsanto is in Research Triangle Park. UNC is in Research Triangle Park. She has offices established there that have been established there for years, which is against the party rules to do for her to leave an office and then have another senator or a future senator or a House representative uh, or House member try to take that over. 
That's what she was doing. It's illegal. Yeah. They were blocking out black candidates from from any type of exposure. They were passing a literature about the Democratic Party in North Carolina, blocking out black candidates. So this isn't something that was new to me. I knew how crooked the Democratic Party was, which is why I wanted no part of it. Mm-hmm. But but what we saw was no offense. I mean, this is you got to call like you see it in politics. A black woman who was not a part of the African American caucus did not really nobody in the African American caucus liked this woman, and somehow out of everybody, she gets picked. And then I find out, I can't say how I found out, I found out that she was hired under false pretense because she directly lied to the person who hired her. Saying, you know, that some of the stuff that was being said about her wasn't true, but neglected to talk about every other truth. And she, you know, essentially using her connection again to the campaign like so many others did. And so, you know, things rolled downhill from there. I got phone calls from former staff members, members who quit because they could clearly see. I'm sure you heard about the people from what Alaska. They had to, they formed their own super PAC because they saw the same things I saw across the country in Alaska. Saw the same things we saw people in Nevada. And it and then what we start seeing is rolling downhill. Like the corruption became more and more and more blatant. We saw then the 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 um, exit polling got taken off. This is all happening within the same month, mm-hmm. and we're just like. And then the situation in New York happens, and I go to New York. That's why I actually moved to New York was to, to, to get a, a feel of that situation because it was like, that's huge. I'm like, 100,000 people get dropped from the rolls and people all in Brooklyn? Yeah. Like, what? And people are like, it's not that big of a deal. And people have no idea how big of a deal Brooklyn is Brooklyn is to that election. Brooklyn and it's essentially could make or break that election. And right. when you're talking about 100,000 votes, I don't give a damn if it was one vote. Mm-hmm. Bernie and that state could not afford that. You get what I'm saying? Because right. we know, yeah, we know he was going to win the whole, like, New York State. That's just how the demographics work. But in that city, he couldn't afford that. And people keep trying to pretend like, oh, he would have still lost. We don't know because that's not how it's set up in precincts. And everything has its worth at the end of the day. And we don't know what effect really that had on the election going forward. And when you start seeing a pattern like that, and you start, I'm seeing what I'm seeing, then we start seeing the vote rigging, and then I'm putting everything together like, holy shit, she planned this out eight years ago. <laughs> like, people were being, I, I'm not joking with you, Mike, we caught somebody who was a consultant for Hillary Clinton's super PAC, got paid $10,000 by this super PAC, was hired at one of the highest levels of Bernie Sanders' campaign two weeks later. It's and I'm just like, brazen. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, obviously when everything dropped, you know, it was vindicating. And it said, I didn't really right. care. I'm like, I know what I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. We're providing facts. We're providing information. I don't really, I, I, don't, I don't really care what, either way. They can call me crazy. They can call me what they want to. But uh, I at least wanted people who are working for the campaign to be educated and vigilant because... There are people who this is their income. They would look they look too progressive and you had to go on to the next state. Guess who wasn't getting brought along? Hmm. We had situations. The best situation I could think of, the canvasser in South Carolina, the top two canvassers who did the most for Bernie, guess what they didn't get sent to? North Carolina. Yeah. Anybody <laughs> who was great and motivated was getting put on shitty duties. Anybody else? It was put, you know, giving giving nice cushy jobs and say, hey, don't let them go canvas. Don't let them touch the 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 voter rolls. Don't let them touch anything. Like it was crazy, man. 
And after seeing all of this play out, I mean, you saw the corruption firsthand, and now you see it going to court. And I just wanted to get your reaction to the fact that, you know, there's really been no party leader or anyone within the DNC actually admit that the party uh, rigged the primaries, with the exception of Tom Perez, who retracted the statement a couple of hours later. Um, Yeah, it doesn't look suspicious at all. (laughs) (laughs) Perfectly reasonable. He totally misspoke. <laughs> so big, I know, right? When he said I misspoke, I was like, misspoke, bro. Like at that point, you like you don't understand English. Right. Like, <laughs> it was obviously rigged. I misspoke. Right. I meant to say it wasn't rigged at all. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so now Sorry, I, I, I kind of look at this. You know, I look at this lawsuit as a chance for us to actually hold them accountable. So my question to you is, with just, I mean, seeing the corruption firsthand, you were in the trenches. If this lawsuit isn't successful, and we're hoping it is, it looks like we have a judge that's actually doing great work mm-hmm. with impartial. Do you think they will continue this? Do you think this lawsuit will actually prevent them in the future, even if it is successful, from resorting to this again? I mean, what, what are your thoughts on the effect that this my might thought. have? So I'm, I'm glad you asked this question because it's something I discussed on my show. I, I, this, this lawsuit in a vacuum? No, this won't stop anything. Um, Bernie Sanders going on this unity tour in a vacuum? No, that's not going to stop anything either. Tulsi Gabbard coming out speaking against, her, you know, as a veteran and as a, as, a, as a woman of color coming out and speaking against the war crimes, are not war, yeah, war crimes of the United States and speaking against going against pointless, you know, pointless, going to pointless wars and things like that in a vacuum? No, that's not going to help. Nina Turner, being the strong black woman she is, is in a vacuum. None of that's going to help. Our shows in a vacuum aren't, but when we're doing this, when we're collabing, when you have Tim Black t- doing what he does, when you have Jordan Sheraton doing what he does, when you have, you know, Tulsi Gabbard conquering despite not having the same funding that she had before, going out and conquering, Tim Canova still being extremely active in the community, when you still have Bernie Sanders going out and using the DNC's money to get all the love that they thought they were going to get, that's pretty, I think that's hilarious to me. <laughs> Jill Stein still being active in the community. Like, when you have all of these factors happening simultaneously and let's not forget about alex jones losing so many followers because he's an actor now and he's not actually a psychological <laughs> you know you know instable prick surprise but, um, surprise there huh yeah yeah right <laughs> yeah right like no nah, you're not acting i wanted to tell a lawyer that like nah bro he's, he's not acting man like I can tell when someone's acting i'm pretty good at telling somebody he's not he's crazy he's legitimately it sounds crazy. like yeah it's something is off about him i will say that <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, when you have these type of things all happening at once, like karma, essentially, the good people and the people who are fighting the good fight for some, somehow, this, despite all this, continue to rise through what we thought were ashes. We thought we had lost um, when Hillary won. Um, when we thought some people thought we had lost when, when Trump won. And I said, finally, it's time to wake the fuck up mm-hmm. where where we now. Now y'all want to wake up. Now we have protests about it. Now climate change matters. Right. You know? right. Climate change matters back then. Now the environment matters. Environment mattered back then. You know, now we're having these conversations. Now we're seeing these marches. Well, in, in my uh, colleague of mine, delegate from California, Tanya Singh, she said, uh, probably the best quote I've heard all year. She said, if Hillary had won, will we still be having these marches? You know, Such if Hillary had won, will we still have the leverage right now that we have against the DNC? Hell no. There's no unity tour. It's none of that. They go back to denying Bernie Sanders coverage because guess what? Guess who has to win 2020 if she wins 2016? That's what they're going to do. That's what they would have done. But now 
She's begging for attention in every way she can. Trump is Trump. Trump is Trump projects. It's so easy to stop Trump because he does illegal stuff all the time. He brags about it. He's braggadocious as hell. And then he gets federal judge like, you're an idiot. No, you're an mm-hmm. idiot. No, it's not happening. That's not happening. That's not happening. And then we have situations like Cory Booker coming out and thought that he was going to have a little presidential run. By the way, <laughs> funny story about that. After he gave his speech at the DNC convention, by at the end of the speech, I told I looked over to Jared, the, the counsel, and I said, uh, you know he's about to run for president, right? And they're like, he's like, yeah, probably. Because <laughs> it's, it, it's the same thing they did with Obama. They put him out there, the end of the show, uh, the end of the, the program pretty much right before, I think it was right before Bernie spoke perhaps, or right before Michelle spoke. But he had the longest speech, not talking about really anything substantive, mm-hmm. you know, just going about hopes and dreams and all that nonsense. But he had the longest speech. But he was rising, rising, rising. But for some reason recently, bad people have been getting their comeuppance. You know, voted against the pharmaceutical bill. Boom! Any aspiration you ever had of being president, you thought you were on your pedestal, getting millions of views on YouTube and Facebook, gone, just like that. So, you know, a lot of people, a lot of progressives are atheists, and, you know, they don't believe in God or higher power, or whatever, but it's something happening. You know, there's something happening, and I think it's just the energy that mm-hmm. we're putting into it is finally coming full circle. And it's not all for none. So, no, not in a vacuum. This DNC lawsuit, we can sue the pants off and we can win $900 million. Somebody's going to write them another check. Right. And, and what are they going to do then? Are they going to go then and, and change their charter saying they can choose the party members however they want to? And you do that, you're going to lose even more people. You're going to continue losing elections. And the more you lose, the more power you lose because you're losing office, you're not worth, they're not, and people don't get this. If you're losing office over and over and over and over and over again, if I'm a lobbyist, if I'm a corporation, I don't need to invest in you for what? You're going to lose. I can save my money, put all my money into this Republican's campaign, and have him talk about how Democrats don't even want to vote for you anymore. So now you start to become a liability more than an asset, because now they're playing the field because they never know which way the election might go. But if it starts getting to the point where Democrats can never win Florida, they can never win North Carolina or Virginia, they can never win Ohio or Michigan, why do I need you anymore? How are you going to help me? So we want to see the type of change that's brought not by necessarily, you know, physical you know, numbers and things like that. We want to see that change brought because we want to put people on alert. We want to put the, put the party on alert that we're coming. Something that you talked about that we're not really discussing a lot um, I think just in general, is the lack of coverage being paid to the DNC lawsuit. I think it's really Ooh. interesting. Uh, so do you have anything mm. to say about this? Got a lot to say about that. <laughs> Where to start? Uh, first of all, just a, a, a fun fact. Rob Schneider actually tweeted about our lawsuit yesterday. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. But um, yeah, the fact that first time that was that it was ever talked about, um, was I think you know in mainstream media they just kept saying well, there's no basis for it there's no basis for it. that's the first time when it first got initiated back in what June July time frame um, and then now they're having a motion and it's legitimately going to determine it's going to determine whether the party has money going forward it's going to de- you got to think this is a shit show that could possibly happen mm-hmm. we're not settling. Jared hasn't gone on record to say that, but I know my friend, and I know how, how he feels about it. It's not about the money for anybody. We're not settling. They can write a check, and we're, but we're not doing it. Good. That's this good. is a shit show. 
Tom Perez is going to have to be called to the stand because you just said as a DNC chairperson or a person running for the chairperson who's part of DNC, y'all rigged the election. And then you change your statement. So guess what that means? Right hand on the Bible, sir. Which one is it? That's such an interesting thing I didn't think about. Doug Washington Schultz is going to have to be questioned. This is a class action lawsuit that's going to, I mean, bro. And this judge, what makes it even more beautiful, he's a senior judge. So he had like like very few cases. Mm-hmm. So he has a lot of time to put into this. So you're talking about the subpoena game is about to be crazy. You're talking about Hillary, obviously, right? It's going to have to come up and explain herself. So you're going to try to tell me you didn't have any conversation between you and Debbie Washington. You're going to say you didn't have any conversation between, okay, but, you know, and, and we're going to see what information ends up coming out. Somebody slips up. So if a bunch of stories, they're going to have to meet at some point and get all their little stories together. But, um, the, I mean, like I said, Hillary's going to have to be called up. Um, Tulsi, which I think is probably the most interesting because people forget where she came from, which is that she was, what, the vice chair. Yeah. She gave up the most, the second most powerful position, and then her statement after was probably, it was so powerful. And that's what probably made me absolutely say at that time, because that's when you were still like, well, maybe Hillary, yeah, Hillary's shitty, but she's not as shitty as any of the Republicans. It was like being the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But Tulsi said, um, I'm not going to let them threaten me anymore. I don't fear them. I said, what do you mean, fear them? Like, you know, I thought, like, maybe she made her career, but, like, her career obviously cannot be hurt by them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tulsi stepping down because they pretty much obviously threatened to fire her if she supported Bernie. So now we get to hear all of the conversations between Tulsi Gabbard and Debbie Washington Schultz. And while they simply couldn't reach an agreement, is why they can be unbiased. We get to hear Debbie Washington Schultz explain why she all of a sudden decided five debate, four or five debates are good. The questions that are going to be asked in the transcripts that are all going to be released are about to be mind-blowing and so insightful going forward. And people, a lot of people haven't thought about that. And mm-hmm. that's what I said. It's not about the money at the end of the day. We take a settlement, people get a couple of thousand dollars back, and we're going about our day. Right. Man, I don't yeah, even care like, about the money myself. I yeah, just want justice. Exactly. Most of the people who donated the most can afford it, you know, to be quite honest. You know, I, I, I want the time, the justice, the accountability to be accounted for. That's what I want. Yep. And that's what everybody wants. And most importantly, like I said, the people that have to be called to the stand on this, oh, God. Bernie's going to have to be called to the stand because we have to know about all these backroom conversations they had at the DNC convention. Nina is going to have to come to the stand. They're going to have to explain why she wasn't allowed. Okay, okay, if there wasn't any bias towards Bernie, why didn't you let Nina Turner speak when right. she was slated to speak? The most popular what happened circuit. In, oh, oh, it gets better. When we start calling out delegates, what happened the morning of the election whenever Bernie Sanders supposedly won two roll, two, uh, roll call votes and everybody got them on their phone, were recording, taking pictures of the final counts, and they changed them because Hillary didn't win. Who changed them? Why were they changed? The questions that are going to be answered potentially from this lawsuit are just monumental. There is almost nothing that any news cover, like no, any media source could do to get the information. At least, and some of it's going to be lies, and some of it's going to be truth, but we're going to, we're going to find out probably much more in between both of those, you know? Right. And some people are going to be made famous, I'm sure, but not in the best way. <laughs> Uh, but it's going to be oh man, it's it's crazy. It I'm gets excited. Me, I, I get really excited. 
Yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I know. That's probably like it's like the best part of the show. It's like watching House of Cards, and like everybody from the, the all the stars of the cast had to go up and talk about all the people that he murdered because yep. they knew about it in some capacity. Like, and he's sitting there looking at him like, "You better not snitch." I swear to God, because you know the reason that you enlist people like Uma Abedin and Debbie because you have beef on them too. Mm-hmm. So now you start wondering. Damn, and she started dropping information about them because she blackmailed them. If, if, if there is, is there any blackmail? What do they say? And yeah. how willing are they? Are they going to repeat? How often are they going to repeat the lie? Are they going to misstep, which most people do, because there's no way you're going to remember eight years worth of lies, right? Because this isn't something that started yesterday. And I'm telling, I'm going to talk to uh, to Jared, and I'm going to see if we can go get the people who we have that were paid. Very shortly by Hillary Clinton's campaign, before going over to Bernie's campaign, and ask them why they switch, and ask them what they're doing now. I'm sure we can all take a wild guess. Yeah, well, and you know, Nico, the best part about this is that we've seen how they constantly tried to sweep the rigging of the primaries under the rug. The DNC, I mean, mm-hmm. throughout the whole DNC race, none of them would really admit that the primaries were rigged, uh, and now, I mean, they have they have to talk about it. They're forced to actually talk about this. So I in think the it's details in details, right? And so are you going to be at the other hearings? Because if so, you're going to have to write a book. Like, we're going to be waiting on your book. Yeah, I, I have to wait. I have to write, like, two books, apparently. Because I, <laughs> I have to write a book about my life. Because, like, a lot of crazy stuff happened because of Bernie Sanders. Like I said, this whole thing started when I was going on a trip to spring Miami for spring break. And, like, on my the video that I did with Jared, I said, you know how sketchy it is? When you just get a phone call threatening, I had a, a phone call that threatened me. Um, it didn't go down the way he thought it was. Hmm. It didn't it? Didn't yeah? He he threatened me, and I I, I reminded him really quickly that um, this politics thing is not really my full identity, bro. And um, yeah, it's not gonna fly. So if you do it again, you're not gonna have to worry about finding me. So That's <laughs> I'm going. Yeah, and, you know he said, oh no, he was threatening my career, saying that he worked for Bernie Sanders, and um, you know he said things might you know things could happen to me and and things like that. And then like I get a call asking me to go see these lawyers because they want to shoot a documentary about me and and I, i'm like where are they uh, in this new because it's a new office at this time and like sketch no cars parked there it's like saturday obviously nobody's in the office building and i'm like oh, i'm gonna die today but i nope. gotta do this because you know i just I, I thought no i was like no and then i thought like you know i don't know what this could end up being i didn't have any i had traction as far as my videos but i'm like i have no idea how we're going to go forward with all this information. We see lawyers all across the country have been trying to do things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, very successful attorneys too, and they've done their parts wherever they can, but they're being pushed on a, on a back burner time and time again by the media. But at the same time of the rise of my journalism career and my radio show, and I guess the popularity that came from just not only understanding, I think what made the information more potent um, and never, I've never really thought about it before. It wasn't the information that I was providing because people were saying that people were cheating all the time, right? There was how many videos about that out? Mm-hmm. But it was because I was able to analyze and break down why it was suspicious politically. You know, my yeah. connections through the North Carolina Democratic Party and in the Bernie Sanders campaign allowed me to break that down. And, and just understanding politics and how they work allowed me to break that down in a way that was easily accessible and could be explained to other people. And you know, with that amount of consistency and I guess appreciation for that, for the ability to do that, it boosted my journalism career that I never intended to not go to school for journalism. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, this happens, the DNC fraud who comes out and at this, and I was able to give that 
just enough push to put it into the progressive spotlight. Mm-hmm. You know, not nowhere near as many followers and, and subscribers and things like that that I have now. No, nowhere near as many views. But you know, starting out, they didn't have a suit. We didn't. When I met them, we didn't have that. They didn't have that idea. Neither did I. Um, I didn't. I had a following, a slight following. But if I would have just came and said a bunch of people, put a bunch of people's names, and just that was it, what could I have done? Mm-hmm. If I didn't have the people to talk to because of how involved I was in positive, I didn't know the right people to call and the right questions to ask. We wouldn't have been able to rise this case at the same exact time as I was being boosted to popularity and their super PAC was being boosted to popularity as well. And you know, it just it just happened. And all the other, not saying that all the other cases are less important because they're absolutely important, especially for the specific area that they're in, like the one in Arizona. I know it's a big one. I know there's one like in Ohio, mm-hmm. but this is this is huge. And the reason it's so huge is because it's not one or two people or 50 to 60 people. This is a class action lawsuit for millions of people across the nation. Everybody. Yeah, you can pretend you don't know, but that's not what these classes say because you can't have a class action lawsuit without what? A bunch of people to fit into a class. Right. <laughs> you right. get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that's the that's the difference. You can't have a class. And then, and, and, and then um, just the, the talent, the talent. And luck that we got getting a Harvard attorney and a Yale attorney who and people don't understand how much how much sacrifice they've made to be able to do what they do. They pretty much ate ramen noodles. They put their their kids, you know, having kids to the back burner, having a nice house to the back burner, getting paid. Oh, God, Jared could be a millionaire eight times over with as much as he was getting paid at the time. Said, I'm going to use it to pay my debts and I don't want any part of this. Hmm. I want to do what's right. They took all that money, and after saving, they started their own law firm with nothing but a book, a how-to book. They retook the bar to come to Florida, and with the, they fund all of their, their contingency attorneys. So they help whoever they can, and it's all coming out of their pockets. When do you get that? When do you get to uh, this? Yeah, this is Hillary's alma mater. Where every, and she was telling me about this. She was like, oh, I can't ever say anything negative about Hillary. All of her Yale friends blocked her. Wow. So... Oh yeah, this is a real thing. Yeah, and you have these two, this, these almost like stars in the sky, and like we just happen to be in the same place at the same time, with the exact mesh of skill and truth, and just you know, just urge to see justice had that it worked out. It's encouraging. It's really, really encouraging. And you're someone, getting back to kind of your journalism and whatnot, because you're someone who has just excellent insight. You have so much experience with politics and whatnot. I wanted you to kind of talk about what you're doing now, because I know you're hosting Mikasa Esukas at your own show. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Because I think that people would really benefit from uh, hearing more from you. So uh, what is it exactly that you're working on right now? So um, I have a Facebook page. You can just look my name up. It's Nico D. House. Um, N-I-K-O, and then just D, and then House. Um, and that's where I do my Facebook live streams for my show. We're also on iHeartRadio. It used to be on Fridays at 7. I would stream from my YouTube, my Facebook, um, and on iHeartRadio. But um, my new job will not allow me to do that now, so I'm moving it to Sundays. Um, and we're looking between 11 and 1. It just really depends on what the best time for the radio station is. Um, but, of course, I will make a post on this video so that you all know, and I'll update you so you can... So you can tell people, but okay. um, at at the very minimum, you can go to my YouTube page. It's Mikasa Sukasa, 
spell exactly how it sounds. I'm the first one that comes up. You can Google it. It'll come up. Um, or you can go to my Facebook page, and I'm constantly streaming from there. And um, I'm in the process of actually starting a network. It's a, and it's not only going to where we're actually we just enlisted a group of women who are tired of being marginalized and having to work behind um, us. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, it's true, right? We're dom- we dominate. The males dominate the, the journalism stream, it's, right? You know, and it's I, I I never really intended for it to happen like that, of course. But I, I'll right. tell people I'll, I'll I'll do whatever I can. I don't really want credit, nor do I care about it. But they're going. We're starting a whole different like a uh, uh, channel for just women. That's awesome. Under the Mikasa, yeah, and they're going to talk about the things they go through, disagree or not. You know, because they're, they're all from different backgrounds, different parts of the country, different countries, and um, they're going to talk, and they're just going to have that conversation I think needs to be had, and I think people need to hear it. And if I can get my audience to help participate in that, that's pretty much the only thing I'm on board for, and to give them just some guidance from what I've learned and do it, you know, pass it forward like we always try to do. Um, and um, where I have a sports, I do sports uh, commentating as well, believe it or not. So, and where I actually just enlisted a couple people to do that. And so essentially I'm just, uh, I have a Patreon account, um, just patreon.com slash Mikasa Sukasa. And I'm, right now I'm trying to get equipment and, and things like that, you know, webcam and just things that journalists need to be efficient journalists. Um, and that money isn't going to go towards me. I'm literally trying to mitigate the upfront costs that stop most people from doing what they love to do, which is tell the truth um, and give their perspective. And that's that's pretty much the only reason I started the network is because I want to see other people be able to do what I was fortunate enough to do because Liz and Jared um, invested in me, you know, uh, and I wouldn't have been able to do what I, what I do now if it wasn't for them taking a chance on me. Well, perfect. Hey, thank you so much for coming on the program. Um, just really quick before we go, um, what's your Twitter handle so people can follow you? Oh, at Nico CSFB. All right, perfect. Well, hey, thank you so much for the update. I think that you have fascinating insight. And I'm honestly, after some of the things you told me, you know, thinking about the possibility of Tom Perez and Debbie Wasserman Schultz testifying, I, awesome, I'm right? that much more excited <laughs> about this suit. So, so thank yeah, you so yeah, much for being excited. I'm waiting about. for that, man. I'm waiting for that phone call. We got him. He's on the way. He got he got to go to court. Like, oh, man. And, hey, just just um one more thing. Um. You know, my thoughts and condolences to Sean Lucas. He was our process server. Um, he was the one. Uh, I don't want to speculate one way or the other, but I'll just give the facts out how they are. The DNC made a motion to say that we improperly served them. Um, less than, what, two days later, our process server came up dead in his bathroom. And we have been requesting the autopsy, and we have not been able to get one. A private investigator that I put on the case was not even able to get one. So... Um, you know, condolences out to him. Right. You know, if he died doing what's right, I'm glad. You know, I'm glad that everything is moving in the direction that um, that his death will at least not be in vain. Right. Um, and if, if that if that had anything to do with it, and uh, I'm thankful that we can try to you know try to give him some vindication by by going through and, and hope helping this this DNC suit you know change the country. Well, that's all I got for you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, If you've made it this far in the episode, you are awesome. So what I want to do now is take a moment to acknowledge all of the new Patreon and PayPal signups that we had this week. You guys are absolutely amazing, and you are keeping this show alive. So this week, I want to thank Andrew Na and Karishi 
Autumn Langus, Bernie Rogers, Brian, Brian Newton, Cameron Cross, Carolyn Junko King, Charity Farron, Charlie Brayerman, Christina Velasquez, Daniel Oates, Danny German, Derek Gann, Diane Gilbert, Dylan Duran, Ezekiel Contreras, Fabiola Dominguez, Fred Edward, Gabe Girardi, Hugh Tuffin, Isaiah, Jason Comerford, Jaden M. Kirby, Jeff Sorensen, Judith Creasy, Jules Robichaud, June Moncheco, Kelly Schumann, Kenny Scaglioni, Lena DeShane, Lori Wallace, Leslie Wilson, Malti Klassen, Marie Jabauer, Michael Lewis, Nabil Siddiqui, Natasha Irani, Patrick Sheldon, Rob Landeros, Robert Griffith, Sam Carroll, Sandra Newman, Shannon Shipley, Snotty Prince, Terry Helton, Todd Apple, Todd Price, Tom Langmo, Verniel Rogers, Vincent Bellargian, Yvonne McKenzie. So thank you so much to each of you. Um, without you, this show would be in a lot of trouble. So to all of you who just chipped in a buck or two, you know, I really am thankful to you. And I'm doing my best to come up with new things to actually uh, to uh, reward you guys for joining, you know, new perks and whatnot. So I'm trying to post more on the Patreon page uh, because I think it's so important. Because if you guys are kind enough to chip in to help the show, then um, I think that you deserve more of the humanist report. So thank you all so much. I will see you next week. Take care. 